WrestleMania 2, but the world has come to. And now, Vince McMahon. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the greatest sports entertainment spectacular of all time. Welcome to WrestleMania! I just want to go back to Mr. T, first of all, because I've got a very important question for you both. He was wearing a lovely white and red robe, which I thought looked exceptionally comfortable. Are dressing gowns still a thing in your lives? Because it used to be a big thing in my <laughs> life, because at my parents' house, we had a bit of an odd-shaped house, my parents, and I had a tiny... The box room was downstairs, so I had this tiny box room downstairs that I would spend hours in rotting watching various awful television and it would usually be in my dressing gown after a night out which would stink and i'd just sit in it all day long and i might have a shower in the evening or i might not but i don't do that anymore i don't have a dressing gown so do you both have dressing gowns still not at all can't can't stand them anymore had them when i was a kid yeah can remember wearing one or two on christmas but yeah as a general rule can't stand them so um, I, I'm certain when I was a kid, I did have a dressing gown, but I genuinely can't remember ever wearing one. And I think one of the things that bothers me about them is that they're just a, they're a nonsense. They're just a complete nonsense. They're just constantly falling open. Like, why why would anyone wear one? What is the point in this? It just gets in the way. It's just annoying. I'll tell you what, I'm going to ask the same question but about slippers. I'm wearing a pair right now. Matt's just walked off. No, he's not. Oh, he's showing us his slippers. Very nice. Very oh, nice. Got, oh my God! What a fucking fanny! <laughs> he's got he's got Pikachu slippers. What a fucking knob! Do you do you not wear slippers then, Ben? Or are you are you not a slipper man? No, I don't. I've never worn slippers. I hate them. Hate slippers as well. So I'm just not. I'm just not a. Yeah. Oh, he's got some lovely Christmas-looking things. Uh, Steve. <laughs> Um, I've just never wore slippers or a, or um, a dressing gown, and since a kid, certainly not um, any kind of pajamas. Yeah, I just don't wear any of it. I just uh, do you just sleep nude then, Ben? I sleep just with uh, underwear on, and to be honest, I, the first thing I do when I get up is put a shirt on with with a collar. Genuinely, hmm. I'm too. I'm very cold, but then I am an old decrepit man who's older than both of you now. I'm so not that much too cold at night. I, well, I know, I know, but you, you, you've, you've not got to the big the big birthday starting with a four yet. You haven't got to the big birthday with a three as of yet, have you, Matt? Yes, I have, yeah. Oh, have you? Sorry, I'm... Like the, I'm, the, uh, the, I'm... the next one is the double three. Okay. Oh, okay. I thought you were in your 20s for some reason, actually. It's obviously the young-looking haircut. But yeah, I, th- I have to sleep with tracksuit bottoms and socks on. And I think one of the main reasons that I don't wear a dressing gown is because tracksuits are so much more comfortable for lolling about in the house. So I, I do have a few tracksuits. I tend to be jogging bottles and some sort of hoodie all the time. And I miss the days of the pandemic for that, for like literally never having to put... I don't think I wore a pair of shoes for about 18 months, which was just an incredible time, really. <laughs> Obviously, all the other stuff with the, with the pandemic wasn't quite so quite so good. Shall I move on to Randy Savage and George Animal still now? <laughs> No, not yet, not yet. I've got some more about this. So the, the the thing about nightwear as well is that I still don't wear it, but I have just started to explore something which I'm not I'm not unproud to say. Because obviously now we've got the baby, you do have to get up in the middle of the night. And obviously I'm just wearing underwear, so it does get cocked, which is never something I've ever had to really face before. Like I go to the toilet, but you don't have to with a baby you have to stay up for as long as they need to feed and shit changed and then you know getting them back to sleep which can take over an hour sometimes depending on how they're feeling 
so it gets bloody cold. I'll be, I'm not, as I said, I'm not ashamed to say it. I recently, because my wife had decided she no longer needed them, was trying how trying out her uh, maternity uh, uh, <laughs> pants, <laughs> which I tell you what, bloody comfy, They're <laughs> bloody comfy those things. They're just and they come up to like just underneath your nipples. They're just really amazing. They come right up and they're really soft and they're just lovely. So a pair of maternity trousers, absolutely gorgeous things they are. So I've had them. A, I've tried them a couple of times when I've been chief in charge of the baby, which is maybe a couple of times a week, once on the weekend, once during the week when I'm working. You know, I, I'll put them on because uh, I need something to wear on my on my bottom half because it does get a little bit nippy but uh in general yeah I d- and also i don't wear t-shirts so that's the other reason so i'm looking at Stephen and matt they're both wearing the lovely rwr t-shirts and i did warn tom before he got me one that i probably wouldn't wear it now i did on the day but i very rarely wear a t-shirt i don't really like wearing t-shirts yeah how interesting well, just lots of crooks when it comes to clothes in general yeah do you like to wear, what, do, what about bottoms do you wear jeans or do you or like for example lazing around the house would you put a pair of joggers on or what's what's the what's your preference just recently i've been known to wear shorts a lot more than i ever did in the past okay which is not something i used to do but in the last year or so i've really gotten into it and just shorts around the place is the only thing i can find that i really find comfortable if i'm honest mm. is your is your place particularly warm things so my house is way too cold for me to wear shorts after about I mean, the first of august yeah i mean in fairness i can't wear them now like it's mm. got too late in the year but but in the in the summer i to be honest but i still extend it out it was only about last week i was still wearing shorts but i, t- I just tend to wear jeans yeah i just tend to wear mm. jeans around the place. interesting horses for courses it could be snowing out and I'd wear shorts. Like I wore shorts out earlier. Oh well, I wouldn't wear it out. That's just that's just weird. Welcome to the Random Wrestling Review on what is a new era for this podcast as we begin our odyssey into every WrestleMania ever, starting today with WrestleMania 2. Now, obviously, that intro is a little misleading, as we have already, in the course of our previous regime, covered six WrestleManias, and those episodes will be reposted at the appropriate time in the series when we get there, much like last week when we reposted our WrestleMania 1 review. And if you've managed to make sense of any of that, congratulations. Joining me today is Matt Roberts. Oliver, in the house. Did you just say in the house? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. Fucking hell. Fuck me. Uh, and also we have Stephen Coriander today. I'm feeling a strange sense of deja vu after this opening, Ben. I couldn't, I couldn't possibly imagine what it, what it is. Yeah, so Stephen is referring to the fact that we just, we just did an intro and had forgotten to record, or I'd forgotten to press record. And so the new era of the podcast began in far from auspicious circumstances. Uh, this is feeling a bit strange for me, I've got to be honest. Not that we've not done this before. Sam's not been on the episode before. Old Man's not been on the episode before. But now that we know Old Man isn't going to be around for some time, yeah, I'm feeling a little bit odd about it all, to be honest. I'm not surprised, really, Ben, because obviously it's clear with you original OGs. Obviously, I'm going to go with what Matt said there, like in, in the house, OGs in the house. You know, you, you guys have got a lot of history. So, yeah, hopefully I'm going to use a joke I just used in the non-recorded bit. <laughs> hopefully we're not the new Coke version of the Random Wrestling Review, which is which is a joke 15 years minimum before Matt was born. <laughs> like in the house probably was as well. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, what about, do you remember Virgin Coke? 
Yes, I do remember Virgin Coke. Yeah. What about um, Tab Clear? Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. But that was made yeah. by Coke. That was made by Coca-Cola. Oh, was it? I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, Virgin Coke was a thing for a while, wasn't it? When would that have been? Late 90s? Yeah I, yeah, I remember I used to get them at the Memorial Stadium, uh, Bristol Rovers Ground. Used to get be able to get them, and the bottles were shaped like a, um, a supermodel of some kind. Oh yes, which one it was? Yeah, yeah. Strange times. <laughs> yeah, Matt doesn't remember that either. It's all, it was yeah. all before his time. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Pepsi guy anyway. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Are you? You've never seen anyone turn. <laughs> Stephen just turned down on Matt. Really? What the fuck is wrong with you, man? I just. I mean, what actual actual Pepsi? Uh, Pepsi Max, to be fair. Uh, okay, I'll give you Pepsi Max. Yeah. yeah. Virgin Cola was launched in 1994, and apparently it began to outsell Coca-Cola in certain locations. Allegedly. <laughs> the Memorial Stadium. In yeah. Much, <laughs> So I just wanted to start today with a big shout out to Paul Sekulic, Sekulic, not sure how you pronounce your name, let us know on Twitter, who has recently taken Old Man's long-standing call to action and rated and reviewed the podcast on Apple Podcast. Massive props to him. Thanks for listening, Paul. I'm certain an invitation to join the RWR Matches Hall of Fame Selection Committee will be winging its way to you next summer when that process gets up and running again. Also really appreciating the interactions on Twitter recently from the ever enjoyable bad WWE stats and David Basinger, who may be Kim's husband. I don't know. That would be cool. Who we've not called out on the podcast previously. So I just wanted to give them a little shout out too. guys. I have a topic before we get into today's WrestleMania two fun. And I use the term fun very, very lightly. indeed. <laughs> we've got a topic to start us off today. Now, it's actually inspired by a little Twitter interaction as some of these often are. Um, that Stephen, I think you started off actually. Um, you were talking. No, 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 no. It's not. This is not like I haven't. I'm not not dumping you in it like I've previously done with Matt. That, <laughs> you you've got to get at least another four or five episodes in before that starts happening. No, you brought up or raised the subject of world titles and what qualifies ah. as a world title. Yes. Um, now, interestingly, I get the feeling that your kind of broad thinking around this was was sort of aligned with PWI's at least previous designation of world titles and maybe maybe I'm wrong on that um and you because you did bring up their current designation of world titles mm. which seems very broad indeed I think it includes WWE Impact AEW New Japan I think even um what's the other one I'm I'm drawing a blank it's the there's one there's like the the internet one isn't there in there I think so, something I, something I Something weird, yeah, something weird, something yeah. weird anyway. So there was another one and that was weird. So I wanted to I wanted to explore that a little bit further because I'm in my professional life a business analyst. Okay. So what I tend to do is I go around, talk to people about what their problems are, then try and figure out how we fix them. And a lot of that comes down to creating business rules to ensure that systems do things that they're supposed to do in certain circumstances. So I wanted to bring together a set of rules for how we determine what a world championship is and how you can designate one as such. Now, what I wanted to start with is, Stephen, you brought up the idea of eyes on the product, numbers mm. of eyes on the product for how we designate a world championship. And I wanted to kind of challenge it. So I, I didn't do it on the tweaks. I thought, you know what? This is a good subject, I think, for the yeah. podcast. The reason I wanted to challenge it was just because how do we define eyes on the product? Well, I'm not sure. You, well, OK. This is it's a difficult one because TNA had a lot had a lot more eyeballs on the product in what 
when would their key time been? I guess what 2008, 2009 was that their sort of key rating sort of time um, that AEW did or does, but no one was paying for their product. So I, I do think you know I think paying eyeballs have to count more than non-paying <laughs> eyeballs. I think it's probably I, I, yeah that would be my sort of my sort of thing. Now I think that. It's all very subjective, and I and I do think it's it's possible for a world title to go in and out of being a world title. I think probably when Impact or TNA was legitimately two number two, and they were getting you know a million and a half or two million people watching Spike. I'm thinking around the kind of Kurt Angle, Samoa Joe, Christian Cage sort of era. Matt, you could probably correct me on the dates because I'm I'm a bit my memory TNA memories I've pushed out of my head to remember to try and recall things that are more important to my life. I think for a brief period there, it probably was a world championship. And I seem to remember thinking in my mind, I did think about this, this is a sort of thing I think about on the train or what I would do with 30 million pounds if I won the lottery, etc. Quite a lot. And I think around the time that Magnus was TNA champion, that's about the time that I don't think it was anymore. Now, that may have coincided with the end of their spike run or something like that. And I think that was the end. So that's kind of my thing. I think there's if you've got enough non-paying people, for example, you know, in in um in Japan in the 80s, obviously Antonio Inoki's just passed away. Their, their stuff was on mainstream um, free-to-air television, and it was you know fifth. Uh, you know, I'm gonna get the, the figures on. Let's say 35 million people not paying to watch that, but they were still watching. So obviously, you know, the IWGP Heavyweight Title or earlier incarnations of that, you know, would have been a big deal and a world title in inverted commas there. I think so. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's really difficult to define, um, but it's. I think it's a really interesting topic of debate, really. I, I think you're right, though. I think titles should be able to be de- designated as world championships, then not designated, and then even potentially redesignated as world championship for given periods. But all that does to me is mean that we've got to be more specific with those rules about what mm. makes a world championship. Matt, what are your thoughts in this early stage? It's early round of negotiations for a world championship designation. Do you know what? It's an interesting topic. I can't say it is one that, that I've sort of thought about before myself, but... Shame on you. I, I, I know, right? You know, <laughs> I'm just thinking of all, you know, all the glory days of TNA that, you know, that, that's all I do in my spare time. Now that you, you do sort of mention it, it's, it may sound obvious, but it's for it to be designated as a world title, I think it should be defended all around the world you know it, it needs to be a touring title um so you know for example if again easy example if i'm thinking of wwe you know they literally do tour the world there's very few places that i'm not aware that they might you know might haven't gone to so you can definitely class that as a world title because it, you know they're a traveling champion you know they go everywhere so so that for me is, is probably the the first thing to think about and, you know, when you mentioned TNA, you know, particularly, you know, sort of towards the, the end of their run, they pretty much just did sort of, you know, Florida and then the UK. So I'm not really sure, you, you know, you can technically class that as a world title. So let me let me take that up and that mantle. So because I've got a few challenges to that too, Matt. Um, you might be getting my general theme here, which is I think there's no way to do this, but I still want us to try. So. Does that mean then during 2020, WWE's was not a world title because they did not travel at all, because they could not, because they were in COVID times? I think you can class that as an exception. An exce- oh, you want exceptions as well now, Matt? Well, that's, that's not on, is it? I mean, put it this way, you, you know, a pandemic across the... I think you can class that as a special exemption, as, as a one-off. 
Okay. All right. Well, let's um, let's move on then. Um, New Japan, for example. And I know they do kind of tour the world, but not quite extensively in WWE. So is there a, a degree to which they have to, to tour the world? Oh, I'm not sure. The, the tour in the world bit is less important for me. And, I, and someone said this to me about I, I, someone said this to me about the AEW title, because that's the, that's the prime example. Because as far as I know, I don't think that's ever been defended outside of the States. I don't, that Canada debut was last week. So um, I don't think that's ever been defended anywhere other than the United States. Certainly not at Craven Cottage because Tony Khan can't get his finger out of his ass. Or, or, um, He's got or, such a bee in his bonnet about that. It's unbelievable. Can't, I, I just know that next summer I'm going to be away the weekend that is going to be on. It's going to break my heart, basically. But we'll, we'll, I'll, perhaps perhaps more or less than CM Punk um, deserting me for, for the second time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think the AEW... AEW's got to be a world title because you know I was in you know I mean I got up in the morning and watched Daniel uh Daniel Bryan that's terrible that's such a slip up Brian Dan I know it's a shame on me kick me off the pot for that Brian Stephen I'm going to say something controversial go now. on go on go he on. was better as Daniel Bryan he probably was no he was there's no doubt about it he definitely was definitely, definitely was start. 100% yeah. they've misused him so badly um uh Brian Danielson and Hangman Page I watched that on Eurosport India at like six in the morning like that is how big like, AEW is everywhere and I, I do think television worldwide television is probably more important for me than touring I think if people are seeing that wrestling title everywhere then that's more important than you know I've, I've we've defended this title in North Korea or something like that interesting point interesting point yeah I, I don't know so all right let's let's just take an obvious one then so the WWE title I assume we're saying is a world title does that extend I'm I'm, I know this is an obvious answer, but I really want it, need it to be said. Does that include the Intercontinental title? Is the Intercontinental title a world title? Yeah. I'm I'm saying no because it's not. I think the other another classification has to be that it's the focal point of the promotion. Um. So and which the Intercontinental title is not. So I, I would say that is a a worldwide. I don't want to say mid card, but secondary is the best best way to describe it. A worldwide secondary title. Okay, so in that case, then, when there's been two main titles in WWE, does that mean that they're not world titles? It certainly dilutes it, but the original the original two titles was each show, so it was the focal point of the show. When when they when they're defending both on both sides and they, they're all over the place, then I think that really dilutes. And I think there you know you, there could be an argument there that. I mean, they are world titles because of the reach, but they're, they're certainly diluted. You know, I've said the word diluted a hundred times now, and I'm going to say it again. <laughs> they're certainly diluted because of that. Absolutely. And I really, really, really hope that we're at the end of that and we don't ever get that again. I think that WWE have got enough belts under their umbrella to not ever have to do that. Don't break the titles up. Just call it something else. Just call it undisputed WWE World Champion. Doesn't I don't, I don't know why the word universal is in there, really. Probably because of Reigns. I think because because Reigns was Universal Champion originally, they're keeping that in there to keep the the kind of lineage of his long title reign. But that as a traditionalist is not for me at all. Interesting. I mean, what do you what do you think, Matt? I, again, I feel like we haven't we haven't got any criteria which we could definitely we agree with that. Like the main title or the focal point of the champ of the promotion, I don't think quite fits because otherwise the two titles in WWE doesn't quite work. And eyes on the product. Well, how do you define that? Must be defended internationally. Is there a, a number of countries? Have we got anything else we can we can think of here? 
Um, I was going to say, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's an official WWE rulebook somewhere. I mean, we'll have to try and track that down and see and see if it says anything in there. But yeah, it, it, it's hard to pin down anything specific because, you know, if we're going by, you know, what, what I said in terms of traveling, I sometimes find it hard to consider the universal title as, as a world title. I, I mean, part of that, I'll be honest, I, I do have a big problem with the name and the name just really puts me off and it just comes across as as really silly you know that, that gets my back up to start what what if we focus on you know the, the person who's holding it no what that's an interesting one because that was what genuinely one i was thinking about is whether or not you judge it by either the person who holds a title or the people who have held the title and whether they have held other titles that you might consider world titles in the past so for example the AEW title i believe has been held by chris jericho by john moxley by kenny omega by uh, cm punk you'd suggest that that's do you have to say Kenny's name and then Punk straight afterwards? <laughs> my soul. But you would suggest that that is a world title caliber group of wrestlers in terms of who've held that title. And they've held it after they won world titles elsewhere. So in that respect, I think that is a reasonably good designation. The problem, of course, is, is that it's a bit chicken and egg because you can't judge it. What's the first world title and how does everyone else then become world champions but in terms of modern i think that's not a bad designation yeah i think lineage and history and who holds it certainly so i think that i think that is that is an important thing you know if, if that was held by orange cassidy would we consider it to be a you know and, and you know i wouldn't put that past any Khan, but would, would we consider that as an important belt i don't think so you're a big fan of orange cassidy matt I, I I just find it hilarious how much you you like rip on Tony Khan to be honest, but I I don't mind Orange Cassidy. <laughs> I'm just uh, just enjoying the Tony Khan shooting. I'm a fan of Orange Cassidy, but I agree that that w- wouldn't necessarily lend, lend any credibility to AEW's yeah. world title credentials. Not that if they build him up and 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 did it, that would be a problem. But it's just. It's just right now he's not in the position to be. Yeah, and I don't mind his act at a certain level, but he's not, you know, for me. And as you say, every every, every situation can change, but he's not at that that place. So that would be that would be an example. It's one I think that we're not going to resolve. But I, I, I it, it really it really interested me because obviously I know I remember that PWI they designated the ECW title as a world championship eventually i think it was sort of 99 that they eventually got around to doing it and then later whoever was the editor of the magazine in like 2006 or something turned around and said he regretted the decision that they mm. made it a world title which i thought was interesting and now they see major league wrestling is the name of the company that I yeah i've got it in front of me so they've got uh, the two wwe aew impact roh ridiculous mlw ridiculous nwa ridiculous Triple A, I don't know enough about that, and CMLL as uh, as designated world championships according to, P- according to PWI. But now they've got MLW, especially that really stands out to me as kind of we're really lowering the bar now for what a world yeah. championship is compared to the fact that you, that you previously weren't happy with ECW being a designated world championship, and now you're saying that MLW is. Um, and that's not to do MLW down. It's just that they are the definition of a local american independent promotion as far as i'm concerned and that's not world title level in my view so it just that really piqued my interest and it reminded me of something i remember i I can't remember who it was they were talking about but i remember progress wrestling about four or five years ago getting really sniffy about someone else calling their title a world title and saying that they hadn't designated their world championship a world championship because it hadn't been defended on i think like four continents or something or three continents and i was like what's wrong with you i i understand that fans might be interested in this and independent observers who are journalistic in some way would care about this but you're a wrestling promotion fucking just 
book it as a world title if you want to book it as a world title and then let the product do the talking you weirdos but that's progress Crikey, I can still feel like I'm in Brixton Academy for that show where Jim Smallman spent about 18 hours wanking himself off and patting himself on the back, talking about what a wonderful job Progress had done. And they, they then they presented a main event straight out of WCW 2000, and I never went to a Progress show ever again. So, I mean, I just, I thought it was embarrassing. I've always been, in the British wrestling wars, it's all about Rev Pro, not Progress. I, you know, if you enjoy Progress out there, fair play to you i i experienced it once and i thought it was shockingly embarrassingly bad so this was this was was this we're going to need another bigger a bigger room yes i yeah. i was there me and tom were there as well actually. oh were you? Yeah, did yeah. you have a nice time <laughs> yeah we, we enjoyed it we enjoyed it and i i was quite into progress at the time but that but in particular i can't be honest jim smallman in particular was a big bugbear of mine i really yeah. did not i'm not surprised yeah, yeah, I really found it difficult to... to it, I, I, I always... I remember saying this on one of the True Penny shows quite a long time ago. remember saying something to the effect of... Because their, their big thing was, don't be a dick. Yeah. And I always used to interpret as, don't do, don't say things that we don't like, which is different than don't be a dick. And uh, it just felt like that very much that way. Saying that, I'm not, I'm not, I've not got a, I've not got a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A horse in this race, if that's, if that's even a saying. I tell you what, I haven't really. I just, I've just seemed to have a, a lot of bubbling, a bit of anger. Perhaps I need some therapy <laughs> or something really over the last few weeks. I just had like a real pit of anger about that, that, that five hours, that life of my life, I'll never go back. I think the main, sorry, we're going off a big tangent. I'll, cl- I'll close the progress. I think the thing about that is I've heard all this amazing stuff about progress. And then I was really looking forward to the show. I think one match was was didn't happen because of a bad injury, which was, wasn't their fault. But then he he was just and it's him. It was him. Well, really, it wasn't anything else. It was him. He was such a bell end the whole the whole night, swearing as a ring announcer and just I'm just like for goodness sake, this is so unprofessional. Pat yourself on the back again. Well, you know, ugh, yeah, sorry. I'm gonna, <laughs> gonna simmer down after that. Sorry, mate. Sorry, we all, we're all we're all we all like a rant on this show. Then, uh, you know, the more swearage you can include, the better. So let's move on to our show that we're covering today, shall we? Uh, it's WrestleMania two. I am I am I am on tenterhooks to find out how angry Matt got during watching this. <laughs> Given what how angry you got during WrestleMania one, and on that show you will have heard us, especially if you've listened to the reposted WrestleMania one review. Myself and old man warned Matt that if he ever saw WrestleMania two, his levels of anger might get even worse. But I don't want to give anything away in terms of how we might feel about the show just yet. So expectations. So why don't we start with you, Matt? From going what you now know, what were your expectations for this one? Oh, it's funny you mentioned that because, believe it or not, my expectations were absolutely through the floor for this show. I was not expecting it to be good at all. The experience of watching the first WrestleMania was just one of the most painful wrestling shows I've ever watched. It put me in a foul mood for the rest of the day. It was. It's very often that I consider watching wrestling a chore. That was it. So after that, I was thinking, oh, Christ, please let WrestleMania 2 be somewhat good. But, uh, hmm, we'll get there. But, um, yeah, I was not looking forward to this one bit. I, I think it would be really interesting to see if you see see what you think of any WWF prior to 1985, if I'm perfectly honest, because it is all pretty much the same as WrestleMania 1. In fact, WrestleMania 1 is a pretty good barometer for where WWF was most of the time. There's a bit of difference. So Bruno Sammartino's matches are just unbelievable. He There are some 
quite interesting traveling stuff that occasionally came along so they bring in like you know the 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 minis or they bring in the women or they bring in some guys from japan or mexico or dusty roads for example each tour somebody they'd bring in to kind of change up the stuff but in the main what you get at wrestlemania one is very close to what you see from madison square garden shows prior to that point also matt i wanted to ask the question how many wrestlemanias haven't you seen Oh, that's a good question. Um, certainly the the earlier ones. So I think one till oh, one till possibly thirteen. I think. Wow. Well, you've seen ten. Don't forget as well, Matt. Okay. Oh, yeah, good course. So I've seen one, two, ten. I've listened to you talking about ten. So yeah, you, you turn off the, before Bret Hart celebration or something at the end. Or was that something else? Ah, yeah. Uh, one, two, ten. I think f- I'd have to double check, but I think I've seen fourteen and every other one since then. Wow. Okay. Okay. So basically, you hadn't seen the first thirteen, but you've now seen one and ten, and then you obviously are now reviewing WrestleMania two. So this is great. We get to fill in all the gaps, pretty much, mm. except except for seven, Matt, which you might have to do some homework on because we've already covered it. You've already done it, mate. So you may need to go uh, back and watch that when we get there, so that you you can tick it off and say you've watched them all. Stephen, your expectations. I wondered if this would be the worst show that I've ever reviewed on a podcast. And that was my expectation. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably fair. Although, to be honest, we've we've reviewed some rotters on this show. <laughs> let's, be, let's be fair. I was extremely low expectations for this one. But I was also kind of interested because when we watched WrestleMania 1, what I realized on the network version is they've got the full version of WrestleMania mm. 1, which the DVD never did. I had the tag classic DVD of WrestleMania 1 and 2. And WrestleMania 1... I think on the DVD lasted about an hour and 45 minutes. The pay-per-view actually lasted something like two and a half hours. There was a bunch of extra stuff on the network version. And I saw the time for this, which was three hours, WrestleMania 2. And I was like, well, the DVD version was something like two hours and 15 minutes. So they've chopped a bunch of stuff out of that. So I was like, well, there's going to be at least a load of stuff I haven't seen before, even though I've seen the show at least two or three times. Because let's be honest, we've all tried apart from that, obviously, to go through all of the pay-per-views from the very beginning and, and try and watch them all in order. And if you even if you only get through four or five of them, you will have seen WrestleMania 2. So I've watched it at least a couple of times, possibly more than that. And at the very least, I felt, well, at least there's something different. There's extra bits that I won't have seen before. And that at least should keep me going all the way through. Okay, so talking points. Now, um, I've got a number of different talking points, so I am going to like yield the floor to yourselves. Why don't we start with you, Stephen? What, what's your talking point from WrestleMania 2? Um, I've got a little game, actually, for you, first of oh. all. A very quick one. What do I have in my right hand? And it's not my penis. So, Because um, <laughs> Ben has told me I'm not allowed to do that on the podcast anymore. Is it is it your testicles because you're left-handed and you're wanking <laughs> off with that one instead? No, no, no. I'm not going to I'm not going to go to this very, very much. But one of my worst purchases of the last, uh, what, three years since I've been doing my own podcast, uh, all of the 1984, 1985 and half the 1986 wrestling observer newsletters wow. that dave Meltzer typed with a typewriter with his <laughs> fair hands i don't know whether this is a reprint or this is the original paper it feels like it could be the original paper from 1986 but i've got i'm not going to go to this very much because there, there's not all that much gold in it unfortunately but I'll, i will refer to that later but my on along the theme of that my talking point is how could they possibly think that this would work three three venues a Monday night, a Monday night, 
<laughs> three venues on a Monday night. What on earth were the World Wrestling Federation thinking? They were out of their minds thinking this would ever creatively or financially work with what they ended up putting out here. So I just, I, I can't, I think the NWA tried a dual show for maybe one of their Starcades, I think. Um, but apart from that, what are they thinking? Madness. Well, we covered that Starcade where they oh, did, did the, oh yeah, I listened to it, yeah, yeah, yeah they did the dual yeah. events, but yeah, I t- totally agree. I was that was one of my talking points, and I was like, any re- does anyone have any idea why they never tried this again? Yeah, <laughs> one show across three venues, and I don't even understand the logistics. What what do they do? Just have people in the locations where matches weren't happening watch the big screens, which would have been terrible quality, especially at the time. Because you're talking the mid 1980s, where satellite feed wasn't even that good, let alone the quality of the videos and the lighting in the places and all the rest of it, must have been atrocious for them. It, I'm sure it was, and also they they um this is this is ever the professional Dave Meltzer. He messed up and didn't get to the arena on time. So on the West Coast, if you went to the to closed circuit on the West Coast, you got the West Coast first. So I don't know how he how he managed to do this. So you got Hulk, your Hulk Hogan main event, and then you got the other stuff on on replay basically. But I just don't, like as you say, you think of you think of you think of us at school in the I mean even the nineties. So ten years after this, if we had a thing, I don't know if you did this at school, but whenever we had a video uh, during like a lesson, we'd all shout video like that, and it's one of our favourite things to do. But they'd literally wheel out a television that was like probably twenty six inches on like a on a trolley stand and it would be shit and like imagine imagine paying i don't know 25 dollars which is for inflation is probably a hundred dollars or something to watch 20 minutes 25 minutes of wrestling live and then the rest of it on a screen on a terrible screen i just it's just abysmal an abysmal idea just an absolutely awful track one of vince's worst ideas that um that trolley with the video tape and the uh, tv on it the from school reminded me of a specific science class and a science teacher who for i think it was year nine and he was the the least friendly teacher ever he wasn't really strict or anything he was just a dick and he was just really (laughs) unfriendly and completely humorless like completely humorless and he brought out a video i think it was the last day of term before christmas brought out a video and everyone was like oh what we got and someone saw the the box and it said rock and we all thought we're getting the film, we're getting the film, The Rock, lovely, I love The Rock, it's a fucking brilliant film, best action film ever, no problem at all, right? And then, no, 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 Rocks. <laughs> Documentary about rocks. Oh, Amazing. Um, what a fucking dick. Anyway, yeah, that I, I don't really, I, that was really interesting as well that you said about how they experienced it on the West Coast, because I figured they were probably playing around somehow with all this, mm. because... I just I, I, I don't know. I guess the logistic just felt really weird to me. I guess if you were in New York and the show started at, say, six and that was an hour long and then the show passed to Chicago and then that was another hour and a bit. In fact, it would have been eight o'clock before the stuff in L.A. even started on a night on a Monday night, probably a bit late. So, yeah, I guess that's how they must have. Cooked. Yeah, because I suppose it would have been too early for people in the arena to watch that stuff on television. But it's just. It's just bizarre. Um, I just there's 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 a few few snippets in here, but Dave said it from a psychological standpoint. This show had to be devastating to Titan Sports. There was also a place uh, which I've noted here somewhere where they they delivered the wrong box to closed circuits. Basically, also the in Philadelphia at the Spectrum, the or, there was no audio, so you had to sit for three hours and watch this without any audio, which must have been 
absolutely incredible so i mean it's just a, a complete you think the technology for this i remember watching like world cup games from 1990 actually some england qualifiers I remember england played someone in 89 and the, this commentary was by telephone that's how they used to do it so the, the, you had the pictures and you could hear this really muffled commentary because and i'm sure ben you remember uh, you're a bit younger than me but in terms of like war reports and stuff it all be by telephone the technology to do this just wasn't there so like they it just didn't work so yeah i, I just think this was this was pretty much a disaster, really. If they didn't have audio, at least they managed to avoid Susan St. James. Matt. Yes. <laughs> Do you know, the, the only reason I, I could possibly think that they might have thought it's a good idea is just thinking, wow, look at this. You know, the, look how cool this is. WrestleMania is taking place in multiple venues all across the country, all at the same time. Wow, look how big it is. Except it didn't fucking work, did it? It was atrocious. It was a stupid idea. And not only that, but the production of the show as a whole, which was very close to being one of my talking points, was just shit. There were so many things that went wrong with this damn thing. And understandably so, given they're trying to run a massive show from three different bloody arenas in three different places. Yes, it's stupid. Never do it again. I wondered also with this with this show like i don't think they sold out any of the venues so like one of the venues is the rosemont horizon which is pretty big nine thousand one hand there i'm trying to find the other the, the cage match kind of breakdown of the other shows and i i don't think they did i mean they did get sixteen thousand in fairness in new york but los angeles looked empty when they when the camera went there there was loads of seats that were empty now it didn't sound empty but it really looked like they were they were missing huge swathes of, of the audience and i can't blame them i wouldn't want to go there stare at the big screen for two hours and then watch Hulk Hogan and King Kong Bundy in the main event in the cage. Now, I'm sure that was, in fairness, that was a big draw at the time. That's not the point. Uh, I definitely wouldn't have liked to uh, be visit, you know, be watching that myself. I think by the looks of what they said here, that um, LA in the end, they just gave away thousands of tickets to get that, to get that, <laughs> get that as full as full as possible. And also, apparently, um, they did a hillbilly gym versus King Kong Bundy in Los Angeles a few weeks before WrestleMania, and it outdrew WrestleMania. Wow. Um, which, which is just, I mean, that, that tells you what an attraction Bundy and Hogan was in, in LA for, and, a, and a, what a four match card or whatever it was there. Well, I was wondering as well whether or not this was also a consequence of the fact that WWF were still on the journey to nationalizing as a, as a promotion. Although I'm sure Los Angeles was one of the first places they went that wasn't within kind of the, the East Coast area. But I don't imagine, like by this point, no, obviously, Stephen, you will know. Mid-South was still going, AWA was still going strong, World Class was still going strong, NWA was still doing pretty well. So whilst they had expanded massively nationally, they hadn't quite completed it by this point. So I was wondering whether that was a, a factor too. So I, I think that um, 86 was actually a really rough year for WWF. So 85 was the um, MTV and all that stuff in the first yeah. WrestleMania. But 86 was was a, was, a, was not a stellar year for them. So they were, they were, in, they were in difficulties at the box office in 86. As was everyone, actually. I think Crockett was on was kind of still just about clinging on to good times. But they made a loss in 87. Um, and WWF didn't really get back up again until the build for WrestleMania 3. And that was really a turning point. And then 88 was really strong. And then 89 was their best business year up to that point. And then 90, it started going in the wrong direction. So yeah, 86 was it was a really challenging year for this this um, for this company. And, and and it was really down to Hogan would have a run with somebody that would do well, but then he would be paired up with somebody else that wouldn't do so well. So yeah, it was very, very hit and miss for them in this year. 
So we don't think they're going to revisit this for WrestleMania 40 then or whatever. <laughs> I wonder whether they'll try it over three nights at some point, where they're, and they'll have it in different cities over three nights. I just think it doesn't make sense from the crew perspective and the money perspective. Just, just you know, they could they could sell, sell a 40,000 dome three nights. And if they had the right attraction for three nights, they could probably do more than that. So I just don't I just don't see them ever wanting to try and do something like this, this again. Just charge, charge an absolute bomb to put it in Cardiff or you know, Vegas or wherever, and we'll pay it, won't we? I mean, we've proven that. So, um, I, I, you know, I don't think they need to even try this again. They put it in Cardiff, it'll be a thousand quid a ticket, no problem. Yeah, yeah, big time. I'll pay it. <laughs> of course you would. <laughs> I don't I'll think I would. i got to be honest, I don't think I would. I will be honest with you. Although I suppose false economy, because you probably pay that to go to America anyway. Matt, what was your, what was your talking point? My talking point is... And I'm quite happy to sort of branch this to, to out um, outside of this show and everything, but is the use of celebrities in this show and in wrestling as a whole. Now, okay, um, I think, you know, and I think on this podcast, you know, we've seen the use of celebrities used before and used to good effect, to be fair. It can be done with the right celebrity, with the right attraction, put in the right position. It's a good thing, can bring eyes to the show, can definitely can definitely be a good thing. In this show, I'm not sure that that was the case in any way, shape or form. Now, okay, fair enough. It was still early days, like I said, WrestleMania 2, still trying to, to make it seem like, you know, the cool popular thing to to have these celebrities but particularly when it comes to the commentary i mean my god was some of the commentary awful throughout this show and i i don't always notice the commentary to be honest but bloody hell i noticed this just little things and it, it's not the celebrities fault themselves i can't even remember what one of the one of the women's names was so whatever but is that because you hate women that's, exa- <laughs> that's exactly what it is because i absolutely hate women she was talking about one of the one just one of the guys in the ring and literally just said one of the guy and she said it like one of the guys in the ring and i was like ah at least have like a sheet in front of you and know their name or something you know it's if if you're gonna be used for that then oh you know perhaps they should have better prepared it so that's not necessarily her fault but it just comes across as she doesn't give a shit doesn't know who they are and it's just awful i mean the okay mania was great don't get me wrong we will come to the I'll just say it now, the shit show of, of a box of a boxing match between Mr. T and Roddy Piper. We'll get there because the use of him in that was just fucking dreadful. I, I almost I was almost lost for words when I was watching it, but it was just awful in every conceivable way. And it's just, like I said, there is a place for celebrities in wrestling, but I just don't think that they use them to the best of their abilities on this show at all and just well, what a waste so is there any were you, did you want to focus on Mr. T versus Roddy Roddy Piper I, we, we certainly can like I said I was going to talk about celebrities in general but absolutely more than more than happy to talk about that absolute shit show well I mean obviously first of all you've got as you said you've got Susan St. James on commentary in the uh, opening uh, in New York she's not the one who says one of those guys that is Kathy Lee Crosby who is the uh, commentator on the second part of the show but Kathy Lee Crosby is nowhere near as annoying as Susan St. James because Susan St. James spends the entire time going uh oh uh oh uh oh i remember it so vividly because i remember watching this with my wife at one point when we, quite early in our relationship and she obviously it's a shit show but she doesn't she doesn't have a taste in wrestling so it wasn't like it was going to make a difference to her but all she put out was like why is that woman constantly saying uh oh and so <laughs> watching this again i was so eager for my wife to not even know i was watching it just because i didn't want her to pull out that same that very same problem again then we've also got obviously all the nfl players in the battle royal in the second oh. part of the show we've got uh ozzy osborne 
Warren accompanying the British Bulldogs to the to the ring. We have got, of course, in that boxing match, which Mr. T is against uh, Roddy Piper, we've also got Joe Frazier as well. Um, we have got all kinds of celebrity guest ring announcers and timekeepers and referees for the for the big matches. We have got Elvira in the or Elvira, I think actually is how you pronounce it, in the uh, third show on commentary as well. It is stuffed stuffed with celebrities this one it's, it's like they saw wrestlemania one and me and old man were really really enjoyed the introductions for wrestlemania one main event all the kind of celebrities liberace muhammad ali all that lot so they thought well let's just go mad and get even more let's just get even more celebrities and let's put them on commentary and let's split all of the commentators that can actually do this job into three and have no good commentary teams throughout the whole show so uh yeah not the best uh mr t versus rowdy roddy piper let's let's go into that that's the main event of the first part of the show at the national coliseum it's a boxing match which lasts 13 just over 13 minutes and goes over three rounds so it gets into the fourth round and then roddy piper gets disqualified for slamming mr t matt you you didn't you didn't seem to enjoy it very much <laughs> I, j- just just as a start you know for for even having to watch that fuck off <laughs> that was what the hell was that um <laughs> Like no, I I I've seen some shitty wrestling before, and you know that really takes the piss. Well, it, it takes the piss because you've seen shitty wrestling before, but you accept that because you're watching wrestling. You don't expect to see shitty boxing as well. Yes, yes, <laughs> and that's an absolute fair point. And and as as a fan of combat sports, do you know what? Again, I've seen shitty fights. I've seen shitty boxing fights. But what the fuck was that about? Okay, I I, I know I've talked about it slightly in the past as well. Sort of, you know, Mr. T and his and his reputation. And I, do you know what? I mean, I was kind of expecting it to almost be a squash. I was expecting Mr. T to probably knock him on his ass within. I was probably thinking within the first round. That probably would have been the best thing if they really want to get the most out of him and make Mr. T look awesome because they seem to have such a hard-on for him during this period <laughs> of WWE. But the fact that Roddy Piper, who, all right, okay, he's you know, he looks like a relatively big guy, I suppose, but the fact that Roddy fucking Piper put Mr. T on his ass, I, I, I almost stopped watching the show at a protest of that one. I was like, yeah, you can fuck off. I was like, nah, I'm not having that. That, that was the stupidest thing. Why why would they do that? You know, Mr. T's meant, you know, he's meant to be Mr. T, you know, this fucking hard guy who kick anybody. <laughs> I can't believe you love Mr. T this much. Oh, God. <laughs> Piper put him on his ass. You've got to be kidding me. So that was embarrassing. The, the finish, oh, my God. Oh, man. I mean, it's pay-per-view. It's, okay, WrestleMania is still in its infancy, but it's WrestleMania. It's a big show. And they have the goal to end the damn thing in not only a disqualification, but a shit disqualification as well. He went for just this really crap looking slam. And I'm not sure I'm telling you just how how I feel about this, but it was just awful. Waste of time. Never watch this match in your life or this fight in your life because it sucked a giant, massive, veiny cock. I'm a, I'm a little bit disappointed because I, I thought you might uh, I, I thought you might give us both barrels, but you did mince your words a little bit there, Matt. So uh, yeah, it's a bit disappointing. Stephen, what did you think? I just a very quick quote from the observer, uh, I, Dave. I don't know where to start. Simply, this was the single biggest travesty I've ever I've ever seen perpetrated in pro wrestling. I mean, 
Wow. Um, a couple of quick points. Joan Rivers was another celebrity who was ring announced oh, yeah. for this. She got a nice reaction mm. from the crowd. The, the, the judges were a basketball player, a showbiz bloke called Cab, and an actual legal judge, like a law judge. How did that get sanctioned? And if I were Piper, I definitely would have made a complaint. There was also some other celebrity, uh, a Burger King person who was involved in a controversy about basically this thing about spotting this guy Herb. And someone spotted Herb at a restaurant and believed they won the prize. But because he was under 16, someone else claimed it, it was a big lawsuit. And I think that went away. Uh, that that went away with this promotion of Herb, basically. And um, Melsey gave this minus five stars. So I was kind of, I, I had very low expectations for this going in um but i thought i thought round one just about stayed on the side of being passable i thought but then unfortunately as tends to be the case they both gassed and and like you know they would they were moving around and stuff but they just couldn't keep this going and i thought round two was 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 not quite passable but was just about watchable i suppose and the crowd chanting for roddy was you know clearly he was about to turn babyface at this point uh, and the crowd was really still hot between rounds one and two. But then, unfortunately, as soon as T, it was T's turn to get on top in the third round, the whole thing took a turn. He was blown out of his ass and didn't have any energy for this comeback. The shot that put Piper down for the second time and made him bump into the ringside floor, there was no shot there. It missed by about a light year. I was impressed by Roddy Piper throwing the stalks. It hit Mr T squarely in his balls. So that was an excellent aim. Uh, and round two was just an absolute embarrassment. As you said, Matt, the finish was atrocious. I understand why they did. They didn't want to beat Piper clean. But yeah, this was, I think if they both done some training for this and had a bit of an engine, I think they could have made this okay because the crowd were into it. But what they presented was one of the worst things in the history of WrestleMania. Yeah, no, I, I think I'd have to agree. Although I am very impressed by the extent to which you've uh, analysed that match there, Stephen, because that, that meant you've definitely had more energy than I did for this. Um, <laughs> That was very, very impressive. I guess they just thought, look, it's Mr. T. What's he famous for? Rocky 3. They're still in Rocky 3 mode. That's the, that's the whole thing. So that's the only reason they've had Mr. T previously with Hogan. Obviously, Hogan and Mr. T both in Rocky 3. And um, they're just still there. I think they're just still there. The thing about Piper, he never lost clean. Like, he just never did. Like, very, very rarely at this point in his career did he ever lose clean. He never lost clean to Hogan during this period of his career. He wouldn't do it, basically. And I think he, you know, I think that just continued on. He just, he just didn't do that. It was just his kind of his thing, and I think yeah, more power to him. I, I'm I'm the more the older I get, the more I, I I quite admire the politicking of people to do certain things because I feel like it. I think when you see people not doing it, you get what AEW is right now, and that is why I think I admire it more and more. So yeah, um, he never did it, so it's not a surprise that he didn't lose to Mr. T. And he I, I seem to remember that Miss that Piper took this whole thing as a little bit of a shoot anyway. Certainly in in the future, he would talk about how he basically was angry that he even had to sell for Mr. T and all this stuff because Mr. T was just an actor, not a fighter of any kind. Not that Piper was really a fighter of any kind either, was he? <laughs> you know, Roddy's not a pretend wrestler, is he? Come on. But yeah, um, yes, it's ter- it is. It is really fucking really fucking terrible just just awful fucking stuff it's the main event of the new york portion of the show and they had to make it at least three rounds because the rest of the matches on the first portion of the show last a grand total of 12 minutes so they had to make it last a little bit of time just absolutely awful uh i felt bad for joe frazier for having to be witness to it quite frankly an absolute turd 
One of many, one of many on this show. Is Roddy Piper known for being, you know, like a tough guy? In in the storyline, I talked about him doing golden golden gloves like amateur boxing, but whether he did that, I don't know. I read his book about 20 years ago, and, and the thing I remember the most about it is that he had some sort of sexually transmitted infection, uh, like a wart or something, and he burst it himself on, on his genitals, obviously, rather than he's on his arm, and he used some sort of dart device to um, burst said, uh, said wart. And that's the thing that I remember the most about that book. So whether he took said dart after popping the, the spot on his knob and then threw a nice little bullseye, I don't know. That wasn't in the story. There is a there is a show on one of these dreadful fucking reality TV uh, oh. channels called Dr. Pimple oh. Popper. And I cannot imagine that they would cover that one on that particular <laughs> show. Matt's out. Matt, Matt's had yeah. to go and be, Matt's, so had to go, Matt's had to go and vomit blood. <laughs> if that footage just turned up on Dark Side of the Ring, you wouldn't watch it, no? My fucking mother watches that damn show. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's amazing. I think it's a great As show. soon as I walk in the room, I just turn and walk right back out. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's like someone's just fed Matt some vomit-flavoured something or other. He looks like he's going to vomit now. It's brilliant. I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess ultimately he himself, though, portrayed the idea of him being a hard man because that's what mm. he did. It's the game, isn't it, really? So my talking point then... I'm going to go with one or two, one of two, and I'm not sure which one to go with. We've done it. We've done enough negativity for the moment, and I'm sure there's plenty more to come. So let me just let me go into what I think is a match that I've always thought was the best match on the show, and definitely is the best match on the show. But actually, turns out it's even better than I thought it was previously, which is the British Bulldogs against the Dream Team for the tag team titles. And suddenly I was, whilst I was watching this, I was like cast into a bit of a sleeper, this bit of a, bit, bit of a shocker. I was not expecting this one. Like I, maybe it's just because previously I'd been lulled into sleep by the point on this show in the past. But this time I was like, this is bloody good. This is a bloody good match. This dream team versus the British Bulldogs. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So this is a 13 minute match. The dream team defending against the British Bulldogs, but the Bulldogs win and take the titles after not particularly great finish. I will, I will admit that um, basically the uh, David Boy Smith throws Greg the Hammer Valentine into the dynamite kid. Who's kind of lent over to the, over the corner. They collide. And then David Boy Smith uh, gets the pin on Valentine. But yeah, I was like, Ooh, Ooh, hang on, I'm going to actually put this in a match that I would recommend people to watch, which I just did not imagine any of these matches would manage to be. So I guess a recommend in terms of your scale, Stephen, on uh, the uh, Pro Wrestling Moments podcast. Anybody else surprised by this? Uh, th- this match for me, it, it's not that it was bad, but because it, it wasn't bad, but I'm just going to say now, I mean, the show overall was just such a pile of shit. <laughs> it, it just it just it was putting me to sleep it really was and, and it just got to the point where i was just like this is crap and, and i just it just didn't have my full and undivided attention because i was i was expecting it to be crap because everything else was and i really tried and it was all right and, and in all fairness i'm sure if i watched it back again it'd probably be a lot better now that i know what the rest of the show was like there were one or two things in it that, that I thought was right. The only thing that did sort of make me cringe is um, Greg Hammer did some sort of, it was almost like a front tombstone pile driver type thing. Like he, he went to do a pile driver and then dropped him in like the tombstone position, which looked a little bit scary. It, it, it was a good match, but yeah, I, I just, I really struggled with it because the, the rest of the show just killed my interest for me. See, I think that's where I've been every other time I've watched the show and why I completely slept on it and didn't just didn't take it into account how, what I thought on this view was actually really good. Um, I might be sent to the tower for this, 
uh, given that these uh, it's two of our countrymen. But I thought this was really average. This was way under my expectation. This is not my match of the night. Actually, we'll get to my get to my match of the night uh, later on. You know, the show was terrible up to this point. But I thought, well, okay, I'm I, you know this is going to be something I'm looking forward to. There's just some weird stuff in this before it got going. There were two referees. They weren't wearing the same outfit. Like surely they could get the same outfit. <laughs> one was in like traditional WF garb, and the other one was wearing a pair of royal blue chinos and a dodgy looking white polo shirt. Like what is that? I mean, that terrible professionalism and bad production there. Um, the ring announcer called Oz. He said, they're very special corner, man. The dynamic, the ultimate Ozzy Osbourne. The ultimate. Like, what? what is that? I don't really get it at all. I thought the Bulldogs didn't get that good of a reaction either coming out. But then I suspect that the Chicago crowd had the souls ripped from their body by this point. So they had nothing left. I thought Oakland was quite good at commentary, actually, to be fair. He said the ring moved six inches after David Boy Power Slam. And then Gorilla added that it exploded. It definitely did not explode, Gorilla. Yeah, as I said, I thought this was way under expectation. I probably last seen this match 25 years ago, maybe longer. Um, but yeah, it just didn't it just didn't connect to me on any high level. I thought the finish was odd. Um, afterwards, Davey announced that they were going to stay in the United States now they won the title. And Gene Oakland basically decided that they weren't going to give the microphones done my kid sorry is all i can say about it really i don't need to be sorry i mean i'd never until this viewing i'd never paid this any attention in terms of it being a good match and i thought to be honest that you wouldn't even pick a match out from this show as a standout and then i watched it this time and it changed my mind and i really enjoyed it i think though that i do have a tendency watching really especially older shows to be really forgiving um, in certain ways so i i've watched a lot of the madison square garden shows that take place in the 70s and 80s that are available on the network and they are really one-dimensional and so when something happens that is not one-dimensional and actually takes things up a notch like even literally a suplex of any kind it genuinely does i find it quite intriguing quite exciting and i think this was just so starkly different from the first seven matches on this show this time around that i it just really went up massively in my kind of expectations it, it probably if i watched it again i probably wouldn't think it, of it quite so highly certainly if i watched it in isolation i'd probably be like well it's all right but you know mm, yeah but yeah. in but in terms of the course of the show i thought it was a, a very fine little match the one thing i was going to say so ozzy osborne has got a microphone when he comes to the ring but doesn't say anything i don't know what they were planning to do there <laughs> then after the match they do briefly speak to him and he goes he says something like british bulldogs forever yeah and, <laughs> that's quite a good impression actually <laughs> and for some reason in that moment i thought it's tony khan in the ring isn't it like here he is he's completely like, obviously drugged out of his face like completely can't like, complete only drinks lucas aid ben it's only <laughs> lucas aid he's got high energy high energy life basically i'm needs. sure i'm sure i'm sure it is i didn't say what he was high, <laughs> what he stoned out of his mind on and uh, if it was lucas it was lucas aid. he really honestly it, all of his energy whole energy every time he's on screen really reminded me of tony khan mm. like just like overly excited buzzing a lot but kind of not seemingly to be there either at the same time it was just a really <laughs> odd kind of way and i just thought it's tony khan it's ridiculous yeah i yeah as i said it was it was pretty decent i liked some of the stuff that happened in terms of the moves uh the fishermen there was loads of really cool suplexes in the middle part which i really enjoyed and i think to be honest again i perhaps go a little bit too hard for the suplexes I'm just a big fan <laughs> of a good 
Uh, particular the dynamite kid snap suplex and then followed that up by the david boy smith very long held vertical suplex which is really cool here's a a question for you ben then who's who's uh, snap suplex you prefer the dynamite kid version or the brett one with the little knee up because brett used to lift one of his legs up on the way out didn't they do love that where they're both where they're both in the air oh i do like that that a lot now i mean i don't know in fairness i've seen a lot more brett than i've seen dynamite kid and if we're if we're really honest what we certainly must Self, Tom and Old Man have always said that we are really WWF fans who have watched other wrestling. Like that's mm. really what we are. And I would say I've watched a fair bit more other wrestling than they have. But the Dynamite Kid literally have barely ever seen him because yeah. it certainly is WWE content, especially on pay-per-view, is so slim. There's so little of the Dynamite Kid that I've seen very, very little of him. But even just watching this, where he's not in the ring much, actually, Dave Roy Smith is far more in the ring than Dynamite Kid. Even here though, you can just see how much Chris Benoit modeled his entire style on Dynamite Kid. It's just, it's exactly the same. Yeah. Everything he does. It's like watching Benoit. It's unbelievable. Mm. Right then. So that takes us up through the our talking points. Let's not go just yet, though, because we've got loads of stuff to cover. And so I think we probably should cover a little bit more in the first half of the show. So we'll go right to the beginning of the event. We start with some great sacks, which is probably the best bit of the show, actually. Some great sacks to start us off. Um, and we go into the New York portion of the show with Vince McMahon in the ring. Vince introduces Susan Uh-Oh St. James as co-host and co-commentator and then introduces Ray Charles for America the Beautiful. His rendition is very good, but spoiled by some early technical difficulties that they have which is a real shame um the video package that accompanies him singing ends on hulk hogan you've got all these amazing american landmarks and then the last thing you see is a still of hulk hogan i was like what is going on here? with fake fireworks going off around him as well <laughs> yeah 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 really bad looking fake fireworks do they think he's a replacement a decent replacement for the statue of liberty is that why? That oh what they saying? think he's much bigger than the statue of liberty <laughs> yeah so well probably funny. Like, you can't so great He's just so cheesy American, just, yeah, he's Mr. America. Literally about whatever it was afterwards. Ray Charles was funny here because I didn't think he, I felt like he wasn't having that good of a time. And he shouted out during the song, I wish I had someone to help me sing this thing. This thing. That's one of your patriotic <laughs> anthems, Ray. Show a bit of respect. Come on. Pathetic. I'm not a I'm not a big patriot of any kind. So I, I quite appreciate that. Nice subversion of the of the nationalistic uh, American excitement. I'm also quite a big fan of Ray Charles, which which did which helped me here. But yes, there were a few technical difficulties in the early going. Then we had a bit from Gene Oakland, who's in Chicago, and tells us what we'll get from that portion of the show. And then we're backstage with Rowdy Roddy Piper being prepared by Bob Orr Jr. ahead of his boxing match and Piper says he's been training with the best boxers in the world. Piper says that if Mr. T knocks him out tonight he'll retire from boxing wrestling, tiddlywinks and dating pretty girls. Um, then he makes some odd comments about Mr. T's appearance and his race which he, he repeats later on the show as well and they are very very disappointing and unfortunate. Unfortunately it's one of those I've had it many times on Mid-South with certain characters where you're watching a promo from the 80s with gritted teeth thinking about am I going to have to comment on this and I just don't want to hear it anyway so yeah it's not it's not the best from Piper here probably to be expected really yeah he's got a bit of a strange relationship with race I think mm. Piper. It, yes. it, it, that's probably as, as diplomatically as I can put yeah, it yeah that's pretty kindly I think yeah less head on at the bear mm. which then brings us to our first match of the night the first match of the New York portion of the show it's Paul Orndorff versus the magnificent 
Don Morocco in a match that goes just over four minutes and it ends when the two wrestlers spill out for the outside and they are counted out for a double count out. What a good start to the show. Oh, what start? Everyone, everyone <laughs> loves a draw. Matt, why don't we go with you? Because I can see that you're just desperate <laughs> to talk about this one. Fucking double count out in the opener. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> why? I mean, I, I can't remember how long the match was. It wasn't even that long, but for the love of God, could somebody not have just got a win? Doesn't matter who. Just to do a double countdown finish was in the main in the main event in the opener of WrestleMania two, your biggest show of the year. Just it it was just stupid. I mean, the, the matches they again it, it didn't go long enough for for anything to to really become of it. For me, the highlight of it was how pissed off the crowd were as well. There was a loud bullshit chant at the end with that finish. And the, the only other thing that I felt was remotely noticeable, like like I said, I, you know, earlier on, I felt the production of this show, there were so many things messed up, you know, at, at the end of this, it, we'll come, come to this a bit, but, you know, Mr. T was cutting a promo afterwards as Howard Finkel was trying to announce the fucking match. <laughs> Fink was waving at someone and shrugging his shoulders. But then we were kind of, so what was going on? This is a consequence of the old school production, which was, very clearly that they that you were supposed to announce the mm. winner and that the people on television were supposed to hear it. So Vince was going, we'll take you up to think for uh, for the announcement. And usually what would happen instantly is the bell would go, which would signal for Fink to then say, winner of the match, blah, blah, blah. And the bell didn't go because obviously somehow it didn't get relayed from Vince to the timekeeper that they needed to go to, to ring the bell. And that's possibly because Vince McMahon is commentating on this show from way up high, I think, somewhere else, or at least not around the ring with, with Susan St. James, presumably to keep Susan St. James away from the rabid crowd. I can only imagine that's the reason they've done it. Um, <laughs> and so Fink is just waiting in the ring for the bell to go and it just isn't going. So he's just like, well, what do I do? And so then Vince goes, calls an audible, knowing that it's his message for whatever reasons and getting going down to the timekeeper and says well we'll throw you to mr t and then just as he does that fink goes oh and then starts telling us giving us the announcement so yeah there's there's some problems there how amateur hour was that it's like they've never done a show but to be fair to them they've only really done one i guess wrestling classic and some of the mtv stuff but they, they hadn't done a lot of and, and timing problems would be a problem for WWE pay-per-views long after this in terms of things overrunning and, and matches cut out. They weren't as nearly as well-versed as, as doing live stuff as they are now. Nowhere near. I mean, and this was a, you know, this was just a mess, wasn't it, really? Like, it was amateur hour. Well, it was new as well. Doing yeah. live wrestling was new, in fairness to them. So mm. all the Saturday night's main event were recorded and then kind of edited and put onto the show. So they'd only done two by this point, but even, I think, but even those had been, you know, five they'd done by this point, sorry. But even those had been recorded and edited later on and I think I think even the MTV specials probably weren't live I think they were probably yeah, recorded I don't know. I could have easily done an hour before or something to just cut any mess out couldn't they definitely definitely yeah and I think they were only half an hour long those shows as well yeah. on, on MTV themselves so it just wasn't it just wasn't done it was just completely new it does, doesn't wash for me I've seen live episodes of EastEnders that were better than that amateur <laughs> wasn't there someone in a was it EastEnders live episode or maybe Emmerdale or Coronation Street where someone in a wheelchair stood up did that, that happen yeah <laughs> 
I do know somebody that technically stole something in a live episode of EastEnders. I can't remember what it was. Like, somebody went into a shop. They were having a conversation with the owner, but, like, they didn't give them money for the, the product they were buying and just walked up to it. Should have been arrested there and then. Ah. See, I, I'm a big fan of EastEnders, but this is after my time, the live specials. They were after mm. my time. So I haven't I, I haven't seen them, so I couldn't, couldn't possibly comment. But um, you know what? This was weird as well, because this started off this match, and I was like, hmm. This might be quite good. It's quite, quite, it's, it's all right at the start because knowing the level of quality we're going to get overall, when they started, I was like, okay, this might be a pretty decent match. I've obviously forgotten that the match only lasts four minutes and it goes to a double count now. And immediately when it did that, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. I remember now. I remember now. This, this, this is why this show's rubbish because even the stuff that's got potential is squashed by either the booking, the production values, or just, just being shit. This had some potential. But ultimately, we're just shit. The only thing I've got to add is those bullshit chants. I remember I probably watched this when I was about nine and I was like, oh, they're swearing. The crowd's swearing. I've never heard anything like it watching kind of sanitized 1990 WWF. So that's about it. But how are you but how are you asking people to go to their local gym and watch it, as we said, on a shitty little screen and pay $15 and you're giving them this and also, the production was so bad that when they were outside the ring, you could barely see them. Like, it was essentially dark. Like, this was toilet. It was toilet. You're absolutely right. The only thing I will say for them, and it's not to let them off for the double count out, but Matt, you said something there, which is this is your biggest show of the year. It's not really technically true, because, again, it didn't really work the same way. Their biggest show of the year was every single time they were at Middle- Madison Square Garden for a house show or for the, uh, for the Spectrum for a house show or at the Boston Garden for a house show because all they wanted to do was draw the gates. This was, in fairness, either a rehash of matches they'd already done on the house show circuit, which had already sold thousands and thousands of ticket el- tickets elsewhere, or matches that they were going to put on the loop, but they didn't want to give away the result for, which I'm sure is where this one came from, which is basically mm-hmm. going to do one door from Morocco on the loop and didn't want to give the result when everybody was already watching. Which And they saw it as effectively, even though people had to pay for it, they saw it as giving away stuff because they could draw much more in terms of going around the loop on the house show circuit over the course of the year. I think they probably felt there was enough, there were enough finishes on this card to not Possibly. give them a finish here. But I, th- I think in terms of importance, um, yeah, you know, you, you know, you are right, um, Ben, in terms of the, the drawing. This is just, you know, this is a bit of the puzzle for the rest of the year. And Orndorff, actually, talking about 1986. So WWF did start to turn things around later in the year when Orndorff went heel and 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 went, was paired with Hogan. So that's the that's the time leading into showing, you know, the big show in Canada and all that sort of stuff. So that was in 86 and moving into 87. But this time was was bad. But the, the difference between this show is they, they have spunked, I, I can say that on this show, they spunked so much money on it. So they spent so much money on this, they had to give a return. And I think that what they ended up getting was anyone that was dipping in because, you know, they were interested in the NFL or Battle Royale or something else. And you were... We, there's a lot of talk of these days about casual wrestling fans. I think to a certain extent, we're casual wrestling fans somewhat because we're not watching the product week in, week out. We've just got a big history of liking wrestling. It's not like the old days where someone might be channel surfing and stuff. It's just what time do you have and what can you fill it with? If you if you paid for this, whether it's closed circuit or very early pay-per-view, 
you must have been gutted with this. I, I think you were, apart from the very end, I think you'd have been, you know, buyer's remorse. And that's a re- pretty bad position to put people in, I think. It's always been my contention that I am a casual fan these days. It's always been my mm. contention because I'm not watching the show regularly. And if it was good and people were telling me it's amazing and you should watch every week, I probably would start. And that's what a casual fan is. Somebody who is yeah. going to dip in and out and then decide when it's really good to start watching it. So I, I, I've always considered that's what I am, regardless of the whether I'm a quote unquote smart fan or I watch it on face value and that's a that's a different spectrum than if you're a casual fan or an ardent fan you could be an ardent face value fan ultimately you easily could be i'm sure i was once upon a time when i first started watching wrestling and you can be equally a completely casual hardcore fan because you or or a smart fan i should say because you because you know everything but you just don't watch it very regularly anymore and i think on the also the other thing that's a bit of a myth is that the idea that smart fans or critical fans if you like is a modern phenomenon you see constantly during the show that there are critical fans in that fan base who follow the product enjoy wrestling probably even enjoy wwf and have watched wwf for a long period of time and they air their dissatisfaction on a number of occasions during the show partly though i think that's because wwf was in a transition between what it had previously been to this new more cartoonish based product which was taking some time it wasn't it wasn't like they turned a switch and suddenly they were kind of cartoon wwf in the late 80s but they were going through that transition and the longer time wwf fans weren't weren't into it understandably so because it was very very different yeah and i think that you know, picture the three of us picture the three of us if we were our ages now in 1986 and wrestlemania was 25 minutes drive that drive away we'd have all bought tickets this because we're you know we're, we're enough into you know we want to see this new thing the three of us we'd be watching crockett we'd be watching U, uwf television in some parts especially this time in 86 was really really good it was like early nitros that's how forward thinking it was so we think this was shit and we would voice that and there was lots of people in this oh we know it's about families but you're not telling me you're taking your 10 year old son and perhaps your brother's coming along and he's had one too many beers and he's booing and he's trying to bullshit that is what this crowd was just because it was aimed at children it doesn't mean that whatever they drew over the what well, i guess around thirty thousand or so lots of those would have been adult you know men who were as you say ben they were they might not have known the intricacies but that you we all know what we like and don't like you know and that, and that is what this was yeah i mean they they air the dissatisfaction during this match with the bullshit chance and then of mm. course later on in the new york portion of the show as we discussed earlier on they're booing mr t during the main yeah. during the main event of the new york portion and he's supposed to be the baby face they're cheering roddy piper who is quite clearly been set up as the heel they're not just following what wwf tell them to do there is still a critical eye on this product from a portion of the fan base just like there is today yeah so that sounds like a good that sounds like a good point for me to take a break then we'll come back cover all of the rest of wrestlemania 2 which i know matt is absolutely dying to do he fucking loves it look at his face look at his little face he's <laughs> so all happy about it he looks, i tell you what matt that i'm liking that hair a lot you're looking good mate looking good <laughs> I, it does suit you i think yeah, i would agree really with does. you Stephen. i think it definitely yeah. suits you the, the i've got Hairline for it. I saw a friend of mine. Um, he was like, Oh, you showed a picture on my phone. He was like, Oh, you look like this guy. And he showed me a picture of Triple H. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? There is a bit of a. I, you know what? I can see it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I burst out laughing. I was like, Do you know what? Even if you're taking the piss, I'm going to pretend you're not. And that's the best <laughs> I've ever had. <laughs> I should clarify, listeners, that Matt has had a haircut. It suits you so much. I can't even remember what your previous haircut was like. Yeah, I'm that's the same. That's how much it suits you. I'm the same. I literally saw you two weeks ago. And I can't remember what your hair looked like. So, yeah, it looks good. I go with a shaved yeah, head so, more often. There we go. Yeah, as I say, we'll be back in a second. Standing next to me, the world heavyweight champion, Hulk Hogan. 
Hulk, this will undoubtedly be your toughest title defense yet. It's rumored that you're not exactly 100% fit, and it's also said that Bundy may have a psychological edge against you, having put you in hospital once before. Now, this is a steel cage. How do you feel? Well, you know something awful, Alfred. There's a lot of rumors going around, man, that the Hulkster's all busted up and laid up. So what? This is for the world's heavyweight title. We've been living this Hulkamania thing one day at a time. And now that we've got so many believers, so many new generations to follow, it's going to live forever. So awful Alfred Hayes, even if I had to crawl to the ring with one good arm, brother, I'd still climb in that cage, man. I'd still stand behind this world title like a man. And as far as that long, slow, rolling ride in that coffin, so-called ambulance, I've been thinking about it night and day, brother. I've been thinking about the animosity, the way I feel, the aggressiveness. And when I step in that cage with the whole world watching, man, WrestleMania 2, Hulkamania running wild around the world, I kind of feel sorry for King Kong Bundy. I'm going to take all those feelings of him, slap those feelings around, take away his pride, man, and put the pride back in the world title because I'm climbing out of that cage. I'm going to win that match, and all I can hope for is Bobby the Weasel Heenan. Please stick your nose in my business. Man. Right, welcome back. So, WrestleMania 2, we plow on through this uh, this delightful show. And the next thing that uh, takes place on the show, there is a backstage program of Felicity, which is interfered by uh, Howard Finkel making his uh, announcement for the match. Uh, and at the start of the promo, he says he's going to let his fists do the talking. Then he talks for a while. Then we get the second match tonight. Randy Savage taking on George the Animal Steel for the Intercontinental Championship. Savage defending, of course. This one goes for just over five minutes. And it ends when Savage trips Steel by sweeping his legs from underneath him, then puts his feet on the rope and pins Steel for the victory. Uh, we'll go to you, Stephen, to start this one. We, we didn't talk about Susan St. James's all right in the first match, but she did a second one during this. She also talked about how awfully Savage treated Elizabeth and how this was her match. Uh, and that just, I don't like thinking about that with Randy Elizabeth. So let's just move on from that as quickly as possible. Elizabeth, one of the greatest ladies that ever walked the aisle, looked classier and more beautiful than ever. And I'm aware as I'm saying this, I sound like an absolutely horrid creep. But she was wearing a sparkly purple dress with some gold and green trim, which I'm giving a 9 out of 10 on the Elizabeth, Miss Elizabeth fashion scale. Mm-hmm which will also be featured in, a, in a, what, four weeks' time. Watch out for that. I thought Susan St. James, this was a, the highlight of her kind of very bad commentary. Um, and she was talking about how Savage treated Elizabeth and how Animal was completely in love with her uh, and how if she had any choice, she'd change boyfriends immediately. This, unfortunately, though, was not very good. George's body was so covered in hair, I can't imagine how disgusting this would be. Now, I say that as a man that's very hairy, and I've just had something for the listeners to enjoy here, my kind of every four months full upper body beat. Now, if anyone wants a picture of this, it is available. Tweet me at ProWMoments, you'll get a, a photo <laughs> of me. It's just above the pubic line, so it's, it's PG, and it's my entire chest covered in V. And it, I, I am essentially like an animal, basically, with that. But I'm not wrestling anyone, so not even my wife and married, we've been together 10 years, so she, we nothing, nothing at all. I'm not in close contact with anybody. See, I can't imagine how bad it would be wrestling him. Awful, awful, awful. There was this horrendous spot with a body press that I'm not sure exactly 
sure what they were trying to do. Susan speculated on Steele's vaccination status, uh, which was some 35 years before that was popularised. Um, Steele <laughs> used flowers to the face on Savage. And surely I thought this should be a DQ, given the chance of getting like a rose thorn or prick to the eye. And I'm pleased to say I've now used that joke twice in the last month on podcasts. Really, who's the baby face here? Overprotective boyfriend versus unwanted stalker. I mean, who, who, who are you getting behind here? George's kick out of Randy's elbow made me feel physically sick. Uh, and the finish with Savage's feet on the ropes was only slightly better than the first match. And how are you putting Randy Savage, either 1 or 1A worker in your promotion, in with this bloke at WrestleMania? Blech. Matt. Uh, do you know what? I've, uh, I've never seen any of George the Animal Steel before. And based on this, I can't say I'm in a hurry to watch anything of him ever again. Yeah, I mean, I, I've you know I've seen clips of him, uh, you know what his gimmick is and all that, and the you know there was ripping the turnbuckle open and eating the turnbuckle foam and all that shit. And no, just, <laughs> just no. I mean, the the only thing that that really struck me, and, and you mentioned it there, Stephen, is the is him kicking out of the Randy Savage elbow. I mean, knowing what I know about Savage and the elbow, I mean, I was thinking, bloody hell, are they really? trying to protect this guy which really stood out to me but otherwise the, the match itself just yeah it, it wasn't any good I, I don't get Georgie Animal Steel I, I just don't get it Um, it, it's one of those that again it's it's a cartoony character and I know we've talked about this before Ben it's just it's one of those that those types of characters just they're more aimed towards children and that that's just not my not, not what I watch wrestling for so this era in particular those types of characters just do absolutely nothing for me and if anything detract from what I want to see so but if you were a kid why would you like this bloke this weirdo that's eating the turnbuckles is that good that's some strange kid that's liking this geezer I just don't I don't I don't get it at all maybe they're maybe they're afraid of him and you know that they want kids to be afraid of him I, I, I don't know but yes it wasn't really a character for kids, this. Um, in fairness, George, it was maybe at this point, but George Steele was always a heel, like traditionally in the 70s. He was one of San Martino's big rivals, probably also Bob Backlund too. He was a, like a full-on heel who drew money, ultimately, at kind of the highest levels of WWF. He, at this point, was a babyface, and I assume at this point, yes, there was more of a, we can make him sympathetic. He's kind of like a childlike type monster character. And... I can only assume once again, this wasn't about protecting George Steele as much as protecting the match so that they could have it again and again and again on the house show circuit in the future. It isn't very good, but to your point, Stephen, yes, he may be one of the best workers on the show, but they're not they're not interested in that, really. They're not really that interested in the overall quality. You could tell. No, they're not. But shouldn't it not be a... If, you, if, if we were booking this and we were trying to do what Vince was doing, shouldn't it be a bit of a variety show? So I think there's there's room for some good wrestling. I think he might be able to argue. I know that you perhaps disagree, but I think he might be able to argue that you get it with the British Bulldog against the Dream Team. Yeah, I guess that you is You get what, it maybe, yeah. in one other, maybe in one other match later on. So he's got a little sprinkling of it here. Do you know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about you the other day, Ben. It's a great, great thing to think an, about. In an erotic way. Um <laughs> I was thinking about you, you. You talk a lot about characters and feuds and how it doesn't doesn't necessarily need to be about the wrestling. And I, and I was thinking about this and I was thinking, 
what do I really like? And I, I'm really into the Bloodline stuff at the moment. because so I think that the, the crowd is into it. Sami Zayn is over. Like how out of nowhere this guy, you know, is he is he going to face, face Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble? And I was thinking, I really, really, really like this. And I'm, I'm getting into more, more into WWE program. I'm like, this is so good. And I was thinking, what I like is either that, as good as it gets, like Attitude Era, Steve Austin, The Rock, all that stuff, the, the top, top, top characters, promos, etc., or the absolute other side of the coin, where you've got unbelievable wrestling with, and, and actually, New Japan is an odd one because their stories are different. They're not their stories aren't told in a traditional sort of American or Westernized way. But the stardom stuff, I love that wrestling over there. The stuff in the middle, I've got no time for, and that's bad promos or good to very good wrestling with no meaning. It's got to be either end of the spectrum. It's got to be the, the you know the best angles, the best feud, the best promos the best wrestling, the stuff in the middle, which is AEW, really, just, I, I'm not interested. We talked about this, Matt, the other, when we were at the New Japan show. You can see good wrestling everywhere, but you, the, the best of all is if you can combine the character stuff with the best wrestling, and then you've got magic. But there's not all that much of that out there, I think, at the moment. What I would say on this point is that I want really good wrestling. I want really good wrestling. Let's, 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 let me rule out that as a as a criticism i'm not saying we don't want really good wrestling what i don't want is really good wrestling at the expense of well-told stories and characters that you can um, invest in and i think what a lot of people think is really good wrestling does come at the expense of well-told stories and good characters like for example what i my big criticism about that uh, adam cole versus johnny gargano match where i was just like they're just two very good wrestlers there's no character there they don't wrestle like a character they don't have anything unique about them that you're that allows you to hate one of them and like the other they're just playing out a very technically very technically good sound ma- match that's really what i'm where i'm coming from is give me the best wrestling you can possibly give me but do it within a framework that allows you to tell these great stories and have mm-hmm. these characters that genuinely mean something to me when you can bring that all together then you've got what i'm looking for from pro wrestling yeah. and i've seen yeah. it occasionally there's glimpses of it regularly even now there's occasionally glimpses of it but it doesn't often come along it comes along a lot less now i think than when i was watching in say 2000 which i think is for me that the apex of those two things where great wrestling met great storytelling yeah i agree i, I do think i do think and, I, and I'm, I'm i'm surprised with the words that are going to come out of my mouth now i do think the next 12 months or so in wwe could be a bit special actually because I, I just see a lot of stuff that I think is better. I think that the show's going to have enough different things. I just think with WWE, sometimes I'm watching Raw or SmackDown, and I, I know, Matt, you, you keep up with it as well. I just There's just bits of it. I'm like, this is funny. I'm laughing at this. AEW doesn't make me laugh. It makes you cringe quite a lot of the time. And it's just like... <laughs> This is this is and one of my one of my Dan who's on on, on who, you, who you met Matt is on the, on my show quite a lot. He's like it makes me feel like a kid again. And I'm like this is magic about when WWE is good. And I think we're all behind we're all behind them. They've got this goodwill because Triple H. And I, I really do think if they can get the Rock for WrestleMania and they can weave some some storyline with Cody as well, I think they've got something. I think I really think they've got something. I'm not saying this is going to be a boom period, but I think for people like us, we'll we'll watch more and we'll get invested. And I and I bet you when clash at not of the castle two comes around next autumn we'll all be there again hopefully so yeah i you know what after my last appearance it sounded like you know i was i was you know the most depressed man on planet earth i I thought i'd just throw some positivity out there because i think there are green shoots with wwe now and i think that's you know what a great place to be 
Yeah, no, I think, and look, ultimately, I think we, maybe we didn't necessarily have the same goodwill when Vince was in charge, but certainly I never at any point wanted either WWE or AEW to be putting out bad television or bad wrestling. I wanted to see them both do it. Uh, you know, and I think I almost for a moment thought AEW were doing it and then realised they weren't and realised they were going very much in the direction I really don't care for. And to this point, I haven't seen the evidence that WWE are going in that direction, but as I say, I don't watch regularly. I'm an extremely casual fan. And if you guys, you know, specifically people who I trust their opinions of, or at least I'm interested in their opinions of, Matt, um, then, uh, <laughs> then uh, you know, um, you're telling me that it's you're telling me that it's good. Then I, I may very well start giving it a, a good watch. So, Randy, before we move on from Randy Savage and George Dale, I wanted to say that I missed a bit of commentary that I wanted to bring up in the opening match. So it's from Vince McMahon. It's interesting. This. See if you can spot why I picked it out. Susan St James says something about them being great bodybuilders and vince says this is no physique contests it's out and out wrestling wow <laughs> coming out of vince man's mouth can you believe it unbelievable uh, stuff just when he put another order of uh Ikepro in from dr george <laughs> <laughs> so then we go back to chicago with gene oakland and he is with bill Freilich and big john stud bill Freilich being one of the nfl players for those not familiar with American football, of which I count myself one. They start pushing each other around. Stud says the football players are punks, and he'll take out Friedrich and William Refrigerator Perry later. Stud then squishes a football to show his manliness. Um, I like the fact that uh, getting he's rhymed dud with stud. That's all I've got to say about this, really. That's it. <laughs> Matt's got even less to say. Good stuff. Um, then there's a little bit with Vince and Susan St. James on a nice, comfortable chair. There's a couple of nice, comfortable chairs talking about Jake Roberts and his snake. That is not a double entendre of any kind. Um, now, Vince and Susan sat on these two sofas. Uh, they're obviously, this is where they're commentating from. They're coming, they're commentating on basically from a, like a Tonight Show set in front of a big old crowd. That's what they're doing. Really funny. Yeah, it's really odd. Then we get match number three, which is Jake Roberts versus George Wells. It's a three and three minutes and 15 second contest, which ends when uh, Jake manages to hit the DDT and pin George Wells. After the match, Jake releases Damien and wraps poor old George up in it. Uh, Wells acts as if the snake is constricting around him. Matt, why don't we uh, go with your thoughts on this one? There's really not a lot you could say on this. It, it was so short and just virtually nothing happened. I mean, literally, I've got, I, I've literally got written down that there was a nice, a nice head scissors by Wells. He executed a nice power slam. Oh look, Jake gets the DDT. That's cool. He uses the snake, you know, for the the post match. Tries to choke him with it, which okay, I, I suppose that was cool, but it, it it wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It was it was just there. Uh, I'm, I'm really hotly anticipating what Stephen's going to say. I'm so, I'm sorry. He's sat there giggling him to himself for the last minute and a half. I'm so immature. It's ridiculous. I couldn't find my notes about this this match because I'm uh, a little bit behind the curtain. My microphone seems to be picking up like noise from about two miles away. So we're struggling a little bit with some technical stuff this evening. But I found my notes. And my first note is Vince said, let me ask you a question, Susan. Do you like snakes? Only of the trouser variety, she responded. I'm I'm 40. I'm nearly 41. I need to do so. I need to grow up. Absolutely ridiculous. And I'm going to go back to creep factor 100 here because I have to say this. Susan St. James, Ben, this is probably a reference you'll get more than Matt. She looked like a cross between the lead singer of the Bangles and Sandra Bullock. 
She was crikey. What a phenomenal looking lady. Absolutely gorgeous. And um, she said she was hoping she wouldn't see the snake if Jake lost. And then she asked how George felt about the snake and then laughed. I think he wants to see that snake. And she knew what she was saying. In terms of this match, obviously a bit, bit of a vested interest in Master G, George Wells, the man that was brought into Mid-South to replace the junkyard dog and failed miserably, alas. Roberts had only been in the, in the company a little over a month himself, having just left Bill Watts as well. So, you know, he left Bill Watts high and dry like they all did. Wells hit a head scissor in this. And I literally was drinking water. Like, where the hell? And I nearly spat it out. Where, where, where the hell has this come from? And also Vince talking about not, not being a body, you know, bodybuilding thing. Vince said Wells had gained 20 to 30 pounds bulking up over the last six months. But he did not share the recipe for the protein shakes that he was on or whether he had supplied them or not. I thought Wells did a good job with the DDT. And I thought this was the best thing on the show up to this point. And I wasn't sure if I was losing it. And then obviously <laughs> we've got live animal cruelty on a closed circuit pay-per-view. As Jake wrapped the snake around Wells' neck and he frothed at the mouth. Um, I'm presuming he wasn't being killed here, but he did a good job in looking like he was dying. He did a great job in looking like he was dying. But I, I, you know, we've talked about this, I think almost immediately when in the first few episodes of this podcast, hate the use of the, sm- the snake, hate the use of any animals, quite frankly, in front of the big old crowd and also being kind of manhandled around like Jake Roberts is manhandling that poor fucking snake. Just don't, just fu- don't fucking do it. It's just horrible. It- it's, it's probably bad, actually. A lot of people would have thought that then, but now... It's just horrendous, yeah. isn't it? Absolutely. Could never do it. Yeah. Could never do it. That's, that's interesting. Animal cruelty is the line. Hmm. I mean, I, I could, I couldn't give a shit. I'm not gonna. I'm not an animal person in the slightest. So use all the fucking snakes they like. I couldn't care. I them. thought you like cats. I, I do like cats, but I'm not like. Oh my god, I love. I just animals. Nah. P- people first. Animals there. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that you want to like. I don't know. Set them on fire and stuff, does it? No, but if you know if they want to use a snake on TV, yeah, crack on. I don't uh, mind them using a snake on TV. Is the way in which they've used the snake here is just it's just not on. Like what that snake is going to be shitting itself doesn't have a clue what's going on. Yeah, horrible. Anyway, um, this is a squash. That's yes. what this is. It's just a regulation TV squash. Nothing more. Nothing less. Quite typical of a WWF house show of the time. Watch a Madison Square Garden show. The first three or four matches go like this. There is going to be a first match, which is sort of just to set the tone. Second match will be a squash of some kind similar to this. Third match will be a 15-minute time limit draw. That's pretty much what Madison Square Garden shows were like before 1985 and probably well after this, well after that time as well. And that's what this is. It's just an early squash that's still, they're still introducing Jake Roberts to the product. They don't want to give anything away with Jake Roberts on TV yet. They're not ready to do that. And so that's all this is. It's not bad for a squash, but it is a squash. Ultimately. So then we get some videotape hype of Mr. T and Roddy Piper's feud, which actually only shows us really footage of the stuff from Saturday night's main event five, which Matt, you will have seen previously on our, when we reviewed that very show on this podcast, where basically after Mr. T is fought, Bob Orton Jr. in another boxing match, Piper attacks him, and then Piper and Orton attack him together. Then we get some footage from LA, the first footage from LA, where Jesse Ventura is interviewing Hulk Hogan. Hogan says he'll defend the title whether his ribs are hurt or not. He predicts that Mr. T will beat Piper in the boxing match to come. Then we get all of the introduction for the the celebrities for the first of our three main events, I suppose. We've spoken about Roddy Piper versus Mr. T, and we've spoken about a lot of these um, celebrities. As you said, Stephen, Joan Rivers is the special guest ring announcer. Um, she introduces the judges, Daryl Dawkins, the NBA star, 
who is also known as Chocolate Thunder. Um, Cab Calloway is the uh, the second man. Um, and then, yes, G. Gordon Liddy, um, who is roundly booed, who is a judge. I'm not Apparently a judge as part of the Watergate scandal, apparently, according to... Oh, uh, yeah, they just say that. And then, yeah, there's then the timekeeper Herb, which you uh, previously explained. And I've just got a massive question mark uh, next to Stephen. So then we get the New York main event, which we have discussed. And Vince hands over to Gorilla Monsoon for the Chicago portion of the show. Monsoon introduces Mean Gene Oakland and then also introduces Kathy Lee Cos- Crosby as a color commentator for this second part of the show. Any thoughts? This, first of all, any thoughts on the commentary team here? The only thing that I had was that she had a silver jumpsuit on that was epic and a haircut only the 80s could love and just the most 80s looking woman you could possibly ever imagine really i can't really remember her as much as i could susan james or elvira but i guess if i probably got some bits in my notes really bad podcasting can't really remember i might have some stuff in my notes about her later i might not who knows was she by any chance was she the kathy lee from cat regis and kathy lee yes all the wwf stars used to go on to even well into the 90s they used to go yeah. on the show all the time interesting i wondered but obviously that is the case matt i, I just enjoyed them all sharing the one microphone that <laughs> just really cracked me up you know this big you know big company big production and they can't afford three microphones. That that just tickled me. It's too complicated to do three mics. It's just a fucking nightmare. Just do yeah. one. Yeah, I was going to say I don't think this is about um, this is about costs. I think this is more about technology ability to do it with more than one microphone. I mean, I seem to remember football commentators back in the like even the early nineties still only having one microphone between them and they having to pass to each other because it was just too much of a technical technical difficulty to do it. Yeah, different times different times <laughs> so the chicago portion of the show begins with a wwf women's championship match a minute and 25 seconds this one goes and it ends when velvet mcintyre misses a splash from the top and then moolah covers her in a very strange fashion to win the match and take back the title that she had lost previously to mcintyre the previous year the women's title had been one of the major selling points of WrestleMania as part of the rock and wrestling connection, Cindy Lauper's appearance. And of course, Wendy Richter was a massive, quite a big star. She was one of the big focuses of the two MTV specials. How the women had fallen by this point one year later. Uh, yes, this was not the best, was it? Though I tell you what is the best, and that's Velvet McIntyre's personal life section on Wikipedia, which reads as follows. Byron Baxter of the week. McIntyre retired from wrestling in 1998 after discovering she was pregnant and she later gave birth to twins. In her spare time, she makes the sells crafts. Byron Baxter of the week. Now, I don't know why, <laughs> but I absolutely pissed myself at that. Does she actually make and sell crafts or someone just make that up to pad it out? An absolutely useless personal life section. Also, how does someone who's editing Wikipedia know that? Unless it's her. <laughs> it's Unless her. she's done it. Yeah. yeah, it probably is her. The thing that I think she should never do, and I don't think anyone should ever do, is barefoot wrestling. Ugh. Imagine walking to that ring. Because there wouldn't have been mats down there then. They wouldn't have had the UFC-style flip-flops on. She'd have been walking through traces of dog shit, other people's spit, 
probably urine in there as well. Like we've got cats. Sometimes I wonder what what percentage of cat shit there is on our sofas, just from their bum holes, basically. So imagine that. Like, ugh, absolutely disgusting. Like, not not good at all. What was going on with the referees' outfits on this show? Like, they just weren't uniform at all. This guy was wearing light blue trousers, a weird white shirt with red red on the chest. Really strange. They had a, they they went at a hundred miles an hour. Velvet Mr. Splash, there was nearly a wardrobe malfunction, which would have been awful for her if that had, had happened. Um, and then Moola Pindo in a full mouth. It's like, what was that? What was what was going on? And Kathy asked, does she normally come out that fast? Absolutely not, was the response from Gorilla. What was this? Why even have this on the card if you're not going to give him any time? Do you know what? This match felt like a giant fuck you to me personally. When I was watching it, right? <laughs> to I you felt, personally. Yes, to, to you me personally. personally. They specifically booked this to go, fuck you, Matthew Roberts. And I was so disappointed. Because when it started, you know, like you said, Steve, it was a, it was really fast paced. I was like, all right, cool, yay, hooray. I can finally get invested in something in this show. This looks promising. Then what was less than a minute later, they had a shitty fucking finish. And I just thought, oh, do you know what? That's what you get when you try to give them a little bit of faith. And I thought, I tried to get into it, and you literally just spat in my face. So I thought, do you know what? Forget it. At this point, I felt, I'm done with this show. You can fuck right off. Yeah, this this was really shit. And this is what happens when you try and invest in something in it. So fuck you, WWE. <laughs> I love it. Matt genuinely feels like someone in WWE from 1986 was genuinely trying to get at him personally. It's fucking brilliant. So good. So funny. I mean, yeah, what do you say? This is absolutely terrible. I mean, just really, really, really terrible. How old's Fabulous Middle by this point? She must be 55. And they had to go back to her because Wendy Richter, can't remember what happened, but did she just demand too much money is that what I'm yeah and they, screw, they literally they, they screwed her out of the title didn't they they yeah, they did the, the original yeah. screw job as they call it yeah yeah yeah, yeah with uh, with the spider lady who had been a wrestler just generally on wwf shows and then suddenly Mula was under the mask and beating her and yeah it's just it's just absolutely terrible and you just think how different might the world of wrestling be and certainly women's wrestling be had wendy richter got her pay rise and it remained an important part of the WWF's product because it was. It really was a massively important part of their product when Richter was there. Regardless of how good it was, it was really important. And then, yeah, by this point, it's just nothing, is it? It's just nothing. And uh, the the finish, I mean, what is ha- why? I don't even know what happens at the finish. So McIntyre misses the move. And then it's almost like Mula or her missed something, for, failed to be in the right position. And Mula has to kind of crawl over to her and pin her. And it's just in every way it's just dire it doesn't look like it's supposed to happen that's how bad it looks it just looks like they've made a mistake crazy oh, it was a giant fuck you <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I would give them a break on this one matt i don't think they were specifically trying to get at you <laughs> well it certainly felt that way i felt like my faith was misplaced and that that's what happened when i when i you know tried to give them a break bastards so then briefly monsoon oakland and kathy lee talk about the battle world that's coming up in a little bit but before that we get another undoubted uh match sure to get under the skin of matt as uh, corporal kirchner faces nikolai volkov in a flag match which lasts two minutes <laughs> what happens is the ref goes down after kirchner accidentally catches him with an elbow blassie then throws volkov a cane but kirchner manages to intercept and he hits volkov and gets the pin when the referee recovers steven your time to uh give this a give this a 
a bit of a review. Just just before this match, Mean Gene was was did not get most progressive man 1986 award because he said, Kathy, you've been involved with a few football players. Who do you think will win the battle royal? Now, <laughs> I don't think Kathy was engaging in wrestling battle royals with these football players. So I'm not sure if their techniques in other areas of life would have necessarily set them up for. Um, you know, set them up for this. But what an awful question. You know, what terrible. Um, with regards to this match, I actually went on YouTube to find out whether Nikolai was legitimately singing the National Anthem because the Soviet National Anthem, because in Mid-South, he sung a different song. And I said this many, many moons ago on, on the on the on Mid-South moment, right at the start. So whether he was just making it up. And I wonder, was he where was he from, uh, Ben? Is he he's Yugoslavian, wasn't he? I believe. I believe so. Yeah, he was. Yeah. I don't think he. Um, I don't know because he was originally billed as being from Mongolia when he first started his career. Oh, right, okay. Genuine. He was born. Yeah, he was born in Yugoslavia. So I, I wonder whether he was singing the Yugoslavian um, national anthem, but I think I listened to that as well for about 10 seconds and I realised that I was at work and probably should do something a little bit better with my time. Kopok, the uh, ring announcer, I can't remember what his first name was, he had the classic... Czech Kopok. Czech Kopok, yeah, there you go. He had the classic thing of repeating the rest of his name. So he says, Nikolai Volkov, Volkov, which is brilliant. <laughs> Oakland talks about Volkov's tremendous crescent kick which was a spout as slow as a milk float doing a three-point turn. I, I think Gene must have been must have been taking the mick there, definitely. Um, I thought the crowd was into Kirshner, but, you know, two minutes and five seconds this was. And I'm to be honest, that was long enough. Again, just bizarre, 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 bizarre. Just, I don't get it. I don't get what they were doing here. Like, how can this leave anyone with a good taste in their mouth? It's just, it's just weird. It's really, really strange. Do you know what? You, you can tell how much of a bad mood I was in after the women's match because I just couldn't even be asked to make notes at this point. I was so pissed off. I mean, I literally just wrote, and like, there's nothing else. I just got Kirchner wins with a cane shot in one minute 40. <laughs> that's, that's it. I was like, fuck this. This is shit. I'm Why am I We've broken him. Just broken. Wait till WrestleMania format. It's going to be so much fun. Actually, you've got to do three as well, haven't you? So yeah, wait till wait till four. Like, wait till four. Just, Eight hours, mate. I was like, <laughs> what the fuck have I done to these people? I was like, this is showing shit. I was like, why am I wasting valuable, precious minutes of my life watching this utter bollocks? <laughs> So yeah, we. Are, by the way, guys, we are covering WrestleMania three in two weeks' time. Matt, I, I will give you so I will I will try and kind of give you a little bit of I don't know peace of mind. It's better than this. Three is a decent oh. little show. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. good fun. Three. It has we, to be. We, we won't talk about WrestleMania four though because I don't want to put Matt off forever. <laughs> Interesting. I've got a few. I've got a few bits of business to pick up here. So first of all, Kathy Lee Crosby, Gene Oakland's statement about the football players. This might be because she had a ten-year relationship with football star Joe Thiesman during the 1980s. So that might be more what he's getting at is that you know she, she's she's had a boyfriend, a long-term relationship with a football star. So I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. Okay, fair enough. Stop we won't cancel him. Slag, Kathy, we know you like getting drilled by football players. Who's going to win this battle royal? <laughs> that is not what I don't think that's what Gene Oakland was saying. <laughs> then also Chet Coppock. So I thought Chet Coppock wrongly was the person who played Chuck Fleming in Brewster's Millions. I don't know if you've ever seen the 1980 film. Oh yeah, film Brewster's Millions. It was one of my favourite films as a kid. 
is basically where Richard Pryor just has to uh, spend thirty million dollars in thirty days without acquiring any assets. It's so, I've only seen yeah. it once my sisters in the eighties. It's so so good. I, I feel like I want to go and watch it again actually now. Remembering that, it's yeah, a, it's a great film. But I think I like it mainly just for the the the, the premise. I just really like the premise, but it's not. It's not Chuck Fleming. Chuck Fleming's a news reporter within that film, and he's not. He doesn't play him. But what he does do, old Chet Kopuk, is he did commentate on WrestleMania 10 for Radio WWF with Gorilla Monsoon. So he's obviously ah, done a little bit of stuff for yeah. the WWF. I knew I recognised him from somewhere. I'm not even sure that's what it is. But um, he also apparently did some did some promoting of some wrestling events in in sort of Chicago in the Chicago area during the 80s. So did a, did a bit of stuff. He's apparently quite a famous sports broadcaster in America anyway, old Chet Kopuk. So yeah, that's all I wanted to say. The 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 match for Nikolai Volkov versus Corporal Kirchner is dreadful. Why is it a flag match? What makes it a flag match? Is it just that they've got flags hung up in the corners? I mean, I get it. It's America versus Russia, but other than that, Volkov definitely does sing the Soviet national anthem. Um, it is definitely the Soviet national anthem here. Ah, okay. Yeah, I don't know if it's in Mid-South that he's singing something else. Ah, uh, okay, because I think, mate, because it has changed, it did change. So I think maybe I was looking, I was listening to the wrong version. And I literally, not being a very professional podcaster, I did give up after the very first thing I searched for. So, yeah, I guess this would, would have been right. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's that match. Best left, completely forgotten about. So at this point, right, we are halfway through the show. There's six matches have taken place. Okay, we've had one of the main events. We've had six matches of a 12-match overall show. And it's fair to say it's been utter shite, like complete and utter gutter. Now, next up is the Battle Royal. So it starts off with Gene Oakland. He is the special guest ring announcer for this. And he brings out a couple of special guest timekeepers and referees, including Dick Buckus, who I've heard of. But I think mainly because I believe that's who Rocky names his dog after in the rocky films is buckus yeah and also ed tootle jones is another referee i'm assuming another former nfl player of some kind the participants in the battle royal are jimbo covert pedro morales tony atlas ted rcd harvey martin danny spivey hillbilly jim king tonga iron Sheik, ernie holmes jim brunzel b brian blair big john stud bill fralick bret hart jim the anvil neidhart russ francis bruno sammartino William the Refrigerator Perry and Andre the Giant. That's in order of how they are announced as well. There are, I believe, six of them are NFL players or former former NFL players. Most popular of all of those is William the Refrigerator Perry. I think we're going to disagree on this match. So let's see how we feel. The match itself goes for just over nine minutes. Andre the Giant wins last, eliminating Bret Hart when Bret's caught on the top rope and gets thrown out onto Jim the Anvil. This was just a match of odd ring attire. I've never seen Andre the Giant wearing yellow, which was just an absolutely bizarre sight in of itself. And the Heart Foundation was was like a teal colour sort of, you know, ring gear they were wearing. I've, I've never seen them wearing that before. And I was like, what the hell is that about? Teal? It did look like a dark teal kind of colour. What is te- blue, do you mean? Teal, it was, it was teal. I, I used to work in, in a clothes shop. Trust me, it was teal. <laughs> yeah, but what's funny is, what's funny is, is oh. having gone there, has, having gone there with the teal, he then backed right off with the dark teal. Like, <laughs> I'm expecting, I'm expecting him to go. Oh, is it a teal? Is it maybe an aquamarine? No, 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 dark teal. 
I mean, what a letdown after the original kind of teal shout, which I was like, okay, we're going to get some proper like deluxe paint color names coming in. It was a dark teal. What a letdown. I literally can't hack it, man, because at the moment we're about to get some decorating done. So my wife has taken to ordering every color green. They're all green. They're not apple blossom. And I come home from work. And there's seven different paint colours just on the wall in the hallway. I'm like, we've got the whole house the same colour. You could have done that somewhere. I don't have to see it. But every day there's a new thing. Oh, the toilet downstairs is half painted blue with like a little thing. Just leave it alone. Maybe actually that's teal. Actually, I was about to say, you yeah, teal. nice teal. A lovely teal. You should definitely see that to, to your uh, your partner, Stephen. You should definitely go, oh, that's a, that's a nice teal. I would do, I would do, yeah. <laughs> you know what, though? That's not even the worst of it. The worst of it is when you've got 55,000 shades of white. I mean, what is that about? That's just ridiculous. Um, So I, I would say that this is less a teal than a Savoy blue. I don't know. I'm just making it up. I'm just finding different shades of blue now to see if I can. I, I was with you, Stephen. It's a blue. It's blue. It's blue and black. Blue. Yeah, the blue and black. My note is... Brett and Nightheart in blue blue tights, which was grating, is my my note on that. Well, I've got teal, but there you go. <laughs> it was, yeah, I, I just found it just a really odd sight not to see them wearing the the sort of classic pink. So that that, that was just odd. I, I, I'm not a big fan of of battle royals. Um, yeah, it's just not not my cup. You know, even with like you know the the Royal Rumble, like I do tend to think that's something slightly different. But battle royals, I I don't tend to find them the most interesting in the world, and I I've no interest in the NFL. So like this one in particular, just yeah, if ever there was a battle royal that, you know, if I wasn't reviewing for this show, I would have skipped it. There was just nothing in it for me that, that I wanted to see. I, I mean, I, I did suppose um, have a little bit of interest in the, the, the sort of main finish of it with Andre versus the, the Hart Foundation. That that was kind of cool. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but to me, Andre still looked, even then, looked a little bit slow and, and not like he could do an awful lot. Like, I, I'm sure it must have been like a clothesline or some form of kick that he did to, to Jim Neidhart. And the bump that he took for it, I mean, he oversold the hell out of it because I... Andre could barely get it, like his leg up to hit him. So, you know, he tried to give him the best bump possible for it. But when he tried to press Brett, I think Brett was trying to, you know, he's basically Brett Hart was press slamming himself. Um, it, 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 it wasn't great, but people enjoyed it and, you know, a recognizable name that, that they, you know, they wanted to win one. So, I think Andre was completely fucked here, unfortunately. Um, sad. So, this, this was, I think. He came back for the Hogan match and then he had his back operation in 87. So this was about as bad as it gets. I think he did the famous Princess Bride. Princess Bride, is it the famous film of him? Yes. But that was that was after this, I think, before WrestleMania. But he was in bad shape here. Gene Oakland said Pedro Morales was the only man to hold all three recognised men's titles. I wonder what the unrecognised titles were. Russ Francis, good old Russ Francis, has the distinction of being on the two worst wrestling shows in the history of planet Earth. And that's this and Super Clash 2, which I also covered for this podcast. So thank you very much, Ben. <laughs> Poor Bruno being wheeled out for this rubbish. He, he, he looked lost. I bet he hated it. He kept trying to engage with people. Just dismal. Basically, he eliminated the, the Iron Sheet, but the camera managed to miss it. And him being thrown out after an eye rate by John Studd must be one of the low points in the history of the World Wrestling Federation. One of the plus points was Ernie Ladd on commentary. And he was on commentary on a UWF show I just watched in November 86. Obviously, he was flicking between the two a little bit at this point. And I did find William the Refrigerator Perry's thong-style all-in-one swimsuit which showed a little bit of buttock, rather arousing, as his trousers <laughs> were slightly lower. 
And to be fair, the crowd loved absolutely everything he did. Russ Francis, going back to him again, why did he decide that black pants and a white vest was a good look for WrestleMania? Ridiculous. Andre's elimination in Nightheart was one of the worst things I've ever seen. But to be fair, the crowd ate this up. And I think the NFL players was probably quite a big deal. So I think Battle Royals are lame, but I think this was probably about enough of a spectacle for people watching at the time in the States for this to be somewhat passable, I think. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, as I said earlier, like we're we are dealing with a very low bar at the moment, but this clears that very low bar significantly because it's actually people are invested in it, people are interested in it. There's some there's some bits and pieces that are quite fun. The bit with um, when William Refrigerator Perry kind of does his football tackle on Big John Studd in the corner, people are going mad for it. The bit at the end with the Heart Foundation and Andre the Giants really cool. It's also packed. Like it's packed with stars. So if you just accept the the NFL players are stars, and I don't know that they perhaps they weren't, but certainly Perry certainly appears to be one. So if you just accept that they are stars, then you add on the fact you've got former world champions in Pedro Morales, the Iron Sheik, and Bruno Sammartino. You've got Andre the Giant, who probably even at this point was still probably the biggest star in all of professional wrestling, certainly internationally, maybe not in America by this point anymore. Yeah, this is this is packed with stars. This is a really, really big match. Obviously, San Martino is a good ten years years past the point where he would be a major major thing but ultimately i i quite enjoyed this but again he had a very low bar to clear but it it did mark for me a distinct upturning quality at the halfway mark which we desperately needed something didn't have to be a brilliant wrestling match but it was at least something you could kind of see some fun in kind of enjoy i think that's the thing about battle royals i think they're usually not very interesting but you have to really work hard to make them particularly bad i think battle royals they're kind of they just pass you know they're just kind of oh yeah fine you know and as long as you give them a tiny bit of of kind of thought in terms of the end of the match you're usually all right with them i think and uh, that's what i found here i know you're a big bruno fan ben and i just remember something so I, we reviewed we reviewed and it's coming out in a few weeks it was done in a, in, an ep, in a week where i did eight podcasts in seven days so it might be one of the worst <laughs> podcasts i've ever done because i would feel like i was out of my mind at that point um, but we reviewed an episode of WF Superstars, which has the angle for the WrestleMania 3 match between Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat on it. But Bruno is a big theme throughout the whole episode. So I would, I, I think I'd put the link in there. If you have a spare 45 minutes, you'll love it. Watch watch the YouTube link because Bruno's amazing. It's like the Bruno you never needed to see or never thought you would see. It's incredible. So I won't say any more, but you have to watch it. You have to watch I it. I look forward to that because he had, in I think in 1986, had a series of main events against Savage in like Madison mm-hmm. Square Garden and whatnot. So yeah, that, that sounds really cool. So then we go back after this match, we go back to Vince and Susan St. James. This time they're sat with Roddy Piper. He says if he wanted a picnic, he'd have brought lunch, referencing his match again with Mr. T. And again, he makes that remark that I commented on earlier on about Mr. T, which is not the best. Then we get Gene Oakland in Chicago with Jimbo Covert, one of the NFL players just in the Battle Royal. He says he got cheated by Bill Freilich for attacking him from behind. Iron Sheik then turns up and says that the wrestler are better than the football players um, and then makes it clear that Iran is number one and Russia is number one, which was his want during this period. Um, I'm actually quite a fan of Brian Sheik's work as a wrestler as well as a kind of just general nutter, to be honest. So uh, always always got time for a bit of Iron Sheik. The, then we get the British Bulldogs versus the Dream Team, which is the main event of 
second portion of the show at the Rosemont Horizon. Gorilla Monsoon signs off, signs off and throws back to Vince and Susan St. James in New York. Susan predicts victory for Hulk Hogan as they discuss the cage match main event that's coming up in Los Angeles. Hogan would obviously win. I mean, OK, well, I'll just turn off then. It's all right. I'm going to go home. Yeah, <laughs> that's the point. Vince does his best here. You know, he's really trying to kind of keep Susan St. James in a place where it doesn't hurt the show as, as best yeah. as he can. It's hard, but he's doing his best. I wonder if Vince realised at this point that this was awful or whether he thought it was going well. Because, you know, Vince is not an idiot. I think he must have realised this was this was being received badly, not full crowds, weird, some weird crowd reactions that he didn't really want. He hated that sort of thing. So I wondered if he realised that this was all going a bit wrong. Yeah, but he's also someone I think that... So I, I think I mentioned on one of the very first podcasts I did with you, Stephen, the SummerSlam 94, he's doing commentary on that. And there's the Undertaker versus Undertaker match, which is just in front of silence. But he always maintains a sense that everything's going fine. So in that match, he comments, he says something like, listen to this crowd. They're in silence. They're in awe. They can't believe what they're seeing. And it's just (laughs) how well have you managed to twist what the truth is, which is that people are fucking bored of this and it's stupid and shit. But he's just he always manages to maintain that sense that everything's going fine. And here, too, I think he's kind of just. He just passes off as if, oh, that's fine. No, he doesn't. Basically, doesn't blink. If something goes wrong, he doesn't react to it and doesn't draw attention to it. He just just keeps going. And I, I got sometimes it's difficult to not be quite impressed by some of the stuff he manages to do. So we move on to Los Angeles and we start with Jesse Ventura welcoming us to the L.A. portion of the show with Lord Alfred Hayes and Elvira. So we really have split the commentary team completely up. All the ones that are actually capable are in different places. Jesse's here with Elvira, who obviously doesn't know anything about wrestling, and Lord Alfred Hayes, who doesn't know anything about wrestling either, by the sounds of things most of the time. (laughs) We've already had Gorilla Monsoon with bloody Gene Oakland, who is no commentator, and Kathy Lee Crosby. And then, of course, Vince was stuck with Susan St. James. So they're, they're doing their best. And now they have the heel commentator basically playing host in L.A., which just is also very, very strange. And the opening match is Hercules against Ricky Steamboat. Before we go to that match again, any comments on the commentary team that we meet in Los Angeles? I found Elvira quite charming during this list last. I, I actually quite like this L.A. bit, actually, in an odd, odd sort of way, which we, we'll talk about going through it. But I thought Elvira and Jesse had quite a nice bit of chemistry between them here, I thought. Lord Alfred Hayes is my, was my second choice for MVP of the night. Ah. <laughs> His enthusiasm, considering that, like we said, the utter shit show that was going on. I just thought, fair play to you. <laughs> He actually made me, for a split second, forget how bad things were. So if it wasn't for somebody else, who I'll get to in a bit, he would have been my MVP of the night. So Elvira's obviously some character as well. This, this, it's, she, she's played by somebody at like they're not. That's not their name, obviously. And it was, it was, it wasn't really even their stage name. It was just a character that they portrayed in something in some television yeah. show. Yeah, she had like a movie night, so she'd like do the do the kind of inter interspersed bits for big kind of horror B movie things was her her thing playing this character, but I think this character was from something else. But yeah, I thought she was good. Like I, this 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 portion is probably the bit I've watched the most because I think back in the day the VHS I would fast forward through most of it and just watch the Hogan bit and maybe the bit before. So yeah, I I, I yeah, we'll, we'll go into it obviously, but I didn't mind this last section. 
Well, for me, Jesse Ventura is my MVP. I've been, I was actually weighing this up before the show, and I was like, I haven't, I haven't got a clue I'm going to make my MVP for this show. And then I, and then I just thought, actually, you know what? Here he is carrying. Ultimately, regardless of how decent Alvira and and or Lord Alfred Hayes are, he's carrying two people who are just not very good. He's not a play-by-play commentator either. So for them to get through this and it not to be an absolute disaster is actually testament to, to Ventura. And again, can't knock his enthusiasm. Similar levels of enthusiasm as you talked about with Lord Alfred Hayes and previously I've spoken about with Vince McMahon here. So, yes, the opening match of this portion of the show is Hercules Hernandez, I should say, against Ricky Steamboat in a seven and a half minute match, which ends when Steamboat hits a flying crossbody for a victory. Let's go to you, Stephen. Elvira hilariously said that Steamboat looked like a wimp with his red scarf around his knee, <laughs> uh, which I, I thought, again, I, you know, I seem to be a big fan of Elvira here, don't I? Um, her, I am, yeah, I am. Do you know what? I think it might be the whole goth thing because I did go through a stage of liking girls that looked a bit ill. Like I remember this being a thing. <laughs> there was a girl that worked in Edwards in Richmond, and she just always looked like she had a cold and like she's very pale. And I was just like, she's she's wonderful. Obviously, never never had the guts to ever speak to her. But yeah, I just like I just kind of like that that sort of look really. <laughs> Stephen, there's a there's a wrestler at WWE. I think uh, I think their name is Sheamus. Sheamus, you'd be very interested <laughs> in them. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not against a redhead, but I'm, I'm more of a brunette, ill-looking sort of fan, really. Even though we can say lots of lots of things on this podcast, I probably won't say what my wife says is my type. Maybe that might be one for the WhatsApp group at some point. So Hercules had been a regular in Mid South throughout 1984-1985. Now I think it's probably fair to say that Hercules hasn't got the most incredible reputation as being Wrestling Observer Wrestler of the Year. But I thought he was he was much better in that run than he was later in in the WWF. And I thought this had a couple of iffy moments, um, including Hernandez trying to murder Steamboat with some clotheslines directly to the jaw. But I thought this was the best match of the night so far. I thought this was, you know, I thought this was above the Bulldogs and the Dream Team. I thought the referee was really had a, did a really dodgy fast count for the finish. But I like this. I thought this was enjoyable. Steamboat fantastic and i thought this was the the highlight of the whole wretched affair so far <laughs> i kind of agree i i gotta be honest um for me that again it really does you know sort of set the bar for the entire show really doesn't it but up and again for me there was a match of the night which i will get to but this was it up to this point not that it was fantastic or anything it's just the rest of the show was just so damn bad. But yes, you know, Steam Steamboat was fine. You know, bumped around for Hercules. It was it was kind of what you would expect, really. It it, it was fine, but yeah, for from what we had throughout the rest of the show, it 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 stood out and, and looked great, but it, it was fine. Yeah, I thought this was pretty good. Yeah, I thought this was the one for me that came closest to challenging the Bulldogs with the Dream Team for Match of the Night Honors. Hercules looking like for Eugene. Like looking like his absolute spit. It's ridiculous. He looks just like Eugene in this uh, show. He's also far better, as you said, Stephen, than I've ever seen him. So I haven't seen the Mid-South stuff with Hercules in. But in terms of his later WWF run, he is not a particularly standout performer, even in the not particularly fruitful <laughs> halls of the WWE roster of the of the late 80s. Hercules is someone I always think looks ill, funny to your point earlier on, Stephen. Um, I, I, that's th- why I like the match so much, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> But he, but he doesn't look so ill here, but usually he looks very red 
like his his old chest always looks really red and the rest of him looks really white as if he's kind of really just a look about him that makes you think he is not well not because he's got a cold but because there's something else going on there's something else that's not i think there is something else going on isn't there yeah yeah exactly yeah those icopro shakes maybe coming out again too many times and so that's always the impression i've got from him but yeah this was this was actually a decent match i agree it was a decent match so then we get I, what I assume is is Matt's match of the night next up. Um, <laughs> I can't believe I said that I like this portion and I've just started to look down at my notes and I've forgotten this this is a thing. Oh my god. Yeah, so it's Adrian Adonis against Uncle Elmer, a three minute contest which had actually been hyped quite a lot on Saturday night's main event prior to this. Like the whole Uncle Elmer thing had been going on for a while. There was a I think it was a wedding on one of the Saturday night's main events that, that Elmer was involved in and was one of the big selling points for the show. <laughs> but anyway, um Adonis wins this when Elmer kind of misses a leg drop and then Adonis hits a sort of flying headbutt from the top rope for the pin. Matt <laughs> I, what I find really funny is that Matt doesn't actually find it funny that it's so bad. He's legitimately angry about it. It's just fucking hilarious. <laughs> Uncle fucking Elmer. Come on. This is exactly the type of stuff which when you're a kid and you're watching wrestling and you you know your friends come you know come over to see you like, oh, were you watching? What's this? And this is the shit you're embarrassed to show them. Hang on, hang on. When people came round to your house, you were you were embarrassed to show them this and not your CD collection. I, I'm not. I'm finding finding that a struggle to understand. No, because as as I've already you know tweeted out, <laughs> saliva, awesome. So fuck right off for of that. One. <laughs> Cold are also awesome, and pretty much all the all the songs from WWE in pretty much the last ten years, the bands are the bands that I still listen to to this day. So you're wrong. But anyway, um, just as a slight sort of tangent a minute, my dad absolutely despises professional wrestling with every ounce that I've ever known somebody to hate something in his life. And if ever there's a topic which, if ever we discuss, he just doesn't understand it, that's the one. And the just absolute shit he would give me for watching it when I was a kid. If I put on an Uncle fucking Elmer match... And he came in and watched and saw that. He probably would have disowned me at this point. It's just awful. It just goes back to, like, you know, again, I've said it before, but it's the type of characters that just, it's just a different time. You know, this would, I would not have been a fan of wrestling, or at least WWE, you know, shall we say. I definitely wouldn't have been a fan at this time because I, I, I can't watch that. It, it's just, it's, here's a children's character. It's just, it's like taking a kid to a circus or a pantomime. And I, it almost feels like I'm being, tortured to watch it it was just no good the funniest thing about it if there was anything remotely funny is that uncle elmer had that pink ribbon on his back from adrian adonis at some point and a fan after the match as uh elmer was walking out a fan was thought you know what i won that as a keepsake so he stuck over the barrier and swiped the pink ribbon and kept it. And I just thought, you know what? If you so desperately want that pink ribbon, crack on. But yeah, th- this match was awful. I don't ever want to see an Uncle L match ever again. If you give me a show to review with him in it, get out of it. I'm not watching it. Who's next? Don't worry. I think this is the only match that I've even heard of Uncle L being in. <laughs> so I won't worry about it too much. But uh, so you're telling me this isn't your match of the night? <laughs> Definitely not. Steven. 
you know what? I talked about very slight tangent. Talk about stuff made for kids. Good stuff that's made for kids. Adults like as well. I don't know whether either you've heard of a show called Bluey. It's an Australian cartoon. And have you have you heard of it, Matt? Ben, you got Johnny Gargano tweets about it. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh my God, Bluey is unbelievable. Ben, get all over this when, when as and when your your offspring is old enough. It is um Charlotte and I have watched 32 episodes of this thing. It's 10 minutes apiece. It is absolutely brilliant. There's a little bit of blue for the dads in it, and it's just it's it's absolutely hilarious. And like I, I think of kids when we were growing up, like going live and all that sort of stuff, and like Trevor and Simon, and later various other things, Ant and Deck on on, the, on Saturday ones. That was good stuff because it appealed to everyone. This doesn't appeal to anyone. I think kids would think this was shit. Elmer's entrance was must have been 47 minutes. I thought I was I literally thought I was gonna die. Like this is this is the end of me sitting at my desk watching WrestleMania 2 at like death by podcasting not not good at all Adonis did his best here he bumped his ass off but this was just dire Elvira said unkindly she'd never seen so much cellulite in all of her life which is very mean um, Elmer looked like he was 70 but it was only 48 in this match and this was just one of the most bizarre things I've ever ever seen and I've watched a lot of bizarre stuff well it's interesting as well isn't it because even though it is quite mean from Elvira there's a sort of truth to it that may lead you to wonder why they think this is good think about Vince think who he is think about the fact that he doesn't supposedly I mean I don't think he doesn't like wrestling I just don't think he likes the stain of wrestling that's the problem he doesn't dislike wrestling he just doesn't like the the fact that he is a that, that, that what they do is wrestling and this just doesn't seem to fit with that overall kind of sense of I want to make this really polished I want to make this mainstream I want to make this kind of really modern and entertaining for a new audience it just feels like completely like just nonsense just yeah just terrible like you said Stephen this isn't fun for anyone forget the kids ain't gonna like this it's just terrible it's just really terrible and, and, and I think Matt this might be why you don't appreciate stuff that's made for kids that's good because when you were a kid and apparently still you liked the Power Rangers which is the fucking worst kids show there's ever been um, <laughs> so it's morphing time yeah so I think I think ultimately I, I just yeah it's terrible isn't it it's absolutely fucking terrible I wondered I was, while I was watching this I was wondering what Jesse Vincent Ventura was thinking he had been Adrian Adonis's tag team partner in the past and I was just wondering oh I wonder what he thinks about this like he must be like Frank fuck I've retired Frank fuck I couldn't carry on because otherwise they might have had me doing something like this and there's just no way I want to do this I'm far better placed behind this desk getting the occasional acting job and doing pretty well for myself than I am being Adrian Adonis right now after this match Lord Alfred Hayes interviews Hulk Hogan Hogan says that there are lots of rumors about his condition he says that even if he had to crawl in with one arm, he'd still step into the cage against King Kong Bundy tonight. Hogan says he feels sorry for Bundy because all of the feeling from the Hulkamanias, Hulkamaniacs, sorry, all around the world will come down on him. And Stephen is once again caught in a, 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 a <laughs> chuckling to himself. He's all over I'm it. Sorry, I'm s- I watched this weeks ago and I don't remember what I've got in my notes because I haven't had t- I tried to read the Observer a bit before we came on air to see if there's anything and I was a bit disappointed what what. Um, what I found but there's no, it's, it's the next segment I'm just trying to get ready but it's it's ridiculous what I've said in the le- next bit because I was talking about liking should we go there Matt or do you want to talk about this promo I, so 
it's not my podcast. So I should let you do the, do the hosting, really, Ben. That's fine. As long as the next, as long as the next segment is what I think it is, because I haven't got anything between this and the next match. Where I'm assuming you're about oh, to talk about the next. It's match. about the match, actually. Yeah, it's during the it's, it's during the match. So that let's let's quickly go to that match. So the next match is Terry Funk and Hoss Funk, strangely named, um, against Tito Santana and the Junkyard Dog. It's an 11 minute and 42 second match. It's won by the Funks when Terry hits Junkyard Dog <laughs> with Jimmy Hart's megaphone and Terry pins the Junkyard Dog. The fans chant bullshit again after the match, though this time it's more because they're like their heroes have been beaten rather than it was stupid. Stephen. So Elvira was not a fan of Jimmy Hart here and questioned him being out there. However, something she was a fan of was Tito Santana. And she she said she's come here for a wardrobe malfunction. Um, and that, that he was her genre, if you like. And this is the bit <laughs> I was laughing at because we've already talked about this. If anyone is interested, my type is a brunette with a big nose, albeit I'm married to a blonde. That is legitimately, legitimately a fact. If you ask my... And that wasn't the thing I was going to say that I couldn't say in the WhatsApp group. There's a, there's a stage that my wife takes that. Uh, the light version is she thinks I'm into heroin addicts, brunettes with a big nose, which is not strictly true. What This must be based... Did your partner know you before you got together and she knew previous... Um, no, it just comes up. You know when you talk about, like, celebrities that you're into or, like, like I just like girls with big noses. I don't know why it's a thing. It just is a thing. <laughs> It's just a thing. And the worst thing about it is, not the worst thing about it, but Charlotte and I had like a sabbatical a few years back, like a like a break. We were on a break. And I, <laughs> I, I went out with a couple of brunette girls with big noses. And they were like, what's your what's your type? What are you into? And I'm like, I like a brunette with a big nose. She said, well, do you think I've got a big nose? Yeah, I do. Like, <laughs> But but in your but in, but in this case it's not it's not a put down. You, no, you like I it. like it. Bring it on. Yeah, the bigger the better. So yeah yeah. I don't know. That's why. hilarious. <laughs> I can't believe you just said when you were on a break. Legit, it wasn't. A, oh. no, it was, that's how I got to go to Tokyo for the first trip. Oh. So I've got that to I've got that to thank for that. But yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, you know, marriage breaks aren't really the one. But there we go. Crikey, let's get back onto back onto this. While I get myself into any more trouble. I thought this was fine. The crowd were into it, and I really thought this was like this wouldn't have been out of place as a TV main event in Mid South in 1985. And I thought Terry and Tito were particularly good. And Terry is a little factoid for you. Would only do one more match in the WWF during this run, and that'd be after the company. So the company back then used to do a little off period after WrestleMania. They said no house. In fact, they sent a skeleton crew to Australia. And if you want to see, if you really want to see some shit stuff the WWF produced, have a look on Cage Match for, and their Australian tours in 1986 were an absolute and utter disgrace. They were awful, absolutely awful. They sent almost nobody. It was like jobbers doing basically like mid-card matches, essentially. Um, yeah, Terry would do a match with, which I, you guys may have reviewed on Saturday night's main event with his brother versus Hogan and JYD. So yeah, I thought this was, this was decent, probably second best, second best show, second best match of the night, I thought. No, sorry, second best match of the night up to this point. So um, interestingly, you're right, Terry kind of left the company and uh, Dory, or Hoss, as he was known in WWF, and I think it's just because Vince hates using Junior on yeah. the end of names. So I think he felt like he had to change it. But Hoss stuck around and then they had Jesse Barr 
pretend to be another funk brother jimmy jack funk and he was then with dory for a while imagine trying to create an extra funk brother that would be as mad as trying to create an extra von eric brother oh wait no they did that sorry matt uh, just before i talk about the match why don't they just call him like dory funk the second or something he obviously doesn't like he clearly does not like junior hates the idea of it but there we go do you know what we, we've traveled a long road throughout this show you know it, it, it's <laughs> a long a long and arduous journey and we finally made it to the match of the night not only was it the match of the night but it features my mvp of the night and overall star of the show take a bow the junkyard dog whoa <laughs> i do you know i've talked about my love for jyd on this show before i just there is something about that man that is absolutely captivating i don't know what it is because god bless him but he's let's just say he's hardly a kurt angle in the ring okay but do you know what is what he does he does well the crowd bloody love him every single time i have seen him the people have been on their feet for him and he gets one of the best reactions on the show the hot tag that he had towards the end is probably the loudest reaction i can remember of the entire night the people just lost their minds for him and love him he he did some cool stuff threw terry funk on the table that was cool the only thing, the only downside that did bring this match down for me was the finish. And now that I think about it, my God, it really was a pathetic looking finish. It's one of those things, if, you, if you're going to use a weapon, I, 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 and I'm not advocating for any of the wrestlers to actually try and hurt each other, but if you're going to use a weapon, fucking lay it in. He hit him with the most sort of softly, softly hit to the head with this plastic microphone that didn't look like he would have put down a child. But <laughs> that was the finish. So that was disappointing. But other than that, like I said, I just felt that this was almost a one-man show for me. And it was JYD. And for whatever reason, he just he continues to impress. Absolutely <laughs> love the guy. Watch some of his stuff in WCW in 1990. I think he'll be continued to be impressed, so, Matt. <laughs> I, I think, though, what you've done is hit upon something which is what this wrestling wrestling of this period and before this was about. Not about the in-ring. It was about being captivated by your, your, by your heroes, by the stars, you know? This guy comes in physically charismatic is what Junkyard Dog was. And that's what got him over massive in Mid-South. I saw a tweet the other day about someone comparing... It was something to do with Dave Meltzer as well, but someone had compared junkyard dog to kenny omega i think in terms of star power like they were saying who's better who's a bigger star and all this nonsense and dave Meltzer rather disingenuously compared the numbers of people who had seen kenny omega in some of his big big matches against junkyard dog when he fought in mid-south for example um and i thought that was a bit disingenuous given that it's a different time it's a different scale we're talking about all kinds of differences but someone underneath even had the temerity to say that junkyard dog was never a draw and i'm like you'll be fucking joking junkyard dog was a major draw in mid-south and not only that but even when he got to wwf he was a big draw he was one of their biggest stars for their national expansion so yeah, bollocks. That's bollocks. It was absolutely huge. It was earth shattering when JYD left Mid South for WWF. It's a tough comparison to do anyone. JYD was in the Hulk Hogan cartoon. You know, more people will remember Junkyard Dog 100% than Omega. It's, 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 you're not comparing, you know, apples of apples. There, it's, it's a very difficult in terms of le- in terms of level of star people that know who he is. It's Junkyard Dog. You know, I love Kenny, but it, it just is. It just is. 
it's not it's not a direct comparison it's just the, the the landscape of wrestling is different now for all sorts of reasons including number of channels and, and less people watch tv but junkyard dogs was a mega star really yeah it's, it's, it's a difference in scale is what i'm saying in scale yeah. and size and everything you know it's the difference between bruno san martino and hulk hogan is that san martino was arguably a bigger star if you're just looking at a proportion or a percentage of wwf's audience but by the time hogan was a star that that audience was a thousand times bigger so it's mm. impossible to compare the two it just can't do it um and that's kind of similar for those two as well i thought this was all right but i think i was suffering now by this point with a little bit of fatigue so the kind of thing the that you were going through when you got to the david boy smith so the british bulldogs match with uh, the dream team i was at that point now i was like i can't i just can't be bothered with this i just i'm not really sure i care to be honest and it was all right but yeah, I just wasn't I just wasn't convinced and I wasn't really paying a huge amount of attention by this point. I was just at, I was at that point where I'm like, I just want to get through this. We're nearly there. We've nearly got to the end. Let me get through this now. And uh, after this viewing, I will never have to watch this show again. Given that I've already watched it at least twice before this, which is ridiculous, uh, I will never have to watch it again. Um, and that's good. That's a good thing. <clears throat> We then start to see the bits of the cage being brought out to be constructed for the main event, which we then is then followed by a video hype package from Saturday night's main event, which built to the match between Hogan and Bundy. Again, Matt, we saw all of this on our on our review of Saturday night's main event. We then see Hogan and sorry, we see Gene Oakland is with Hogan in his private gym and Hogan's got taped up ribs and Bob Ponovich, the doctor from Saturday night's main event, which I can't believe returned for this show, is there with him wearing a Hulkamania shirt, no less. So the guy who was in the, the local hospital, which Hogan was taken to during that Saturday night's main event, has invested so much in Hogan he's now taken time off from his full-time job at that A&E department and decided to become Hulk Hogan's full-time personal surgeon and wear a Hulk Hogan shirt whilst Hogan is is working out alongside Hillbilly Jim I I just can't believe it I mean what a career change for old Bob Ponovich unbelievable Ponovich has apparently advised Hogan not to fight at WrestleMania 2 and Hogan then demonstrates a heavy chin, which is apparently a chin up with weights hanging from the neck. Uh, Ponovich remarks that it appears that Hogan is OK to fight. I mean, what was this? If Why why are we seeing Hogan that's injured smashing out all these incredible feats of strength? Wouldn't it have been better if like he could get out of bed, you know, he was pissing in a jug or something. Perhaps it. Perhaps he was on a big come down from a night out on the Tony Khan energy energy drinks, and he was shaking a bit. And he's like, "Oh God, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I can't do it. I can't do it." Basically, he's just like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm alright. You know, my back hurts a bit. I'm smashing this out. Look at my heavy chin. This was dog shit." So where's the intrigue here? Hogan should have been crawling down to the ring. Like I, I just don't. I thought the whole this was complete. The tone of this was completely wrong. Tell you what, what might have worked because they didn't want to show him to be completely like destitute. For example, they <laughs> um, might have worked though is if they'd have had him kind of really acting as if he was right, and then when he did the heavy chin, he'd broken down or something, or, yes. or it'd gone wrong. And yeah. then when he came down to the ring looking all confident, people could still be like, yeah, but. He's all right to walk, but wait until Bundy goes after his ribs, for example. That would have been that would have been perfect. But you're right. They're kind of undercutting the fact that the main jeopardy here is that Hogan's ribs are injured 
and he's going up against this big old Bundy who he's probably beaten a billion times before anyway in front of most of them because most of them would have bought tickets to see him do it. Yeah, not not uh, doesn't make a lot of sense in the grand scheme of things. Matt? I, I just found this quite funny. It was just, just very animated, you know, just Hogan, yeah, yeah brother, you know, trying try to do the pull-ups. It was just quite funny. And yeah, the, the idea of him having, you know, of course he's going to have his own personal doctor. He's Hulk Hogan. He's fucking loaded. You know, he wants his personal doctor. He's going to have a trainer. Yeah, why not? Bring the same guy back with him. Why not? Well, that's it. I mean, I don't, I'm not surprised he's got his own personal trainer and doctor. It's just that it's Bob Ponovich who was specifically in the A&E. He just happened to be the best guy for the job was the guy who was in A&E during that Saturday night's main event show. It's unbelievable. Small world. We then see Jesse Ventura interviewing Bobby Heenan and King Kong Bundy. Heenan says that Bundy is going to be the new champion of the world. Bundy says it's been proven that anytime he and Hogan are in the ring together, Hogan ends up beaten down. He says... They'll need to get the ambulances ready because Hogan will be taken for another ride. Heenan then says it's Bundy Mania from now on. So Bundy Mania tried out again after uh, we commented on that a lot as well during that satellite's main event show. Quick factoid for you, Ben, that I was listening to that show on holiday running on a treadmill. I thought I was going to shit myself while you were talking about Bundy Mania. <laughs> so, yeah, like, when would that have been? I was listening to that la- just for last Christmas. So, yeah, that, I didn't sense. shit myself. So, yeah, that's good. Yeah. That, that is a shame. That is a shame. <laughs> Back in New York, Vince and Susan St. James talk a bit about the main event again on their lovely little chairs. And then we get Tommy Lazardo. I'm reading it and now I've realised my handwriting is terrible. Anyway, he's introduced as a special guest ring announcer for the main event. The timekeeper is announced as Ricky Schroeder, who gets heavily booed. This is a young man who must be about 16, maybe. He might even be a bit younger, to be honest. And then the referee for the match is Robert Conrad, who also gets booed. I don't know who Robert Conrad is either. Any of you got any information about who they are? I think I looked it up, but I can't find that in my notes. So I have nothing to add, I'm afraid. I think the (laughs) youngster was like some sort of, he'd been in a TV show, I think. Conrad, I can't remember. It's somewhere, but I don't want to rustle the paper because it's going to hurt your eardrums, basically. So <laughs> Basically, Ricky Schroeder was the Jonathan Taylor Thomas of his day. Yes. Jonathan Taylor Thomas being a star at WrestleMania 11. Look, what um, Conrad beer? Um, he's, uh, so look, Robert Conrad, he was an actor, stuntman, best known for his role in the television series The Wild Wild West. Cool. Well, that is who we've got for the main event, and it's Hulk Hogan versus King Kong Bundy in a cage for the world title, or the WWE title, or whatever the hell it's called. Um, Hogan, Hogan wins after just over 10 minutes, when basically uh, Bundy hits a couple of av- hits an avalanche and Hogan hulks up. He hits a slam, hits a leg drop, and then tries to escape, but Heenan and Bundy stop him briefly until Hogan swats Bundy aside and then escapes for the victory beating Bundy to the floor as Bundy tries to escape through the cage, which was a very, very common end to these cage matches at this period of time. Um, After the match, Heenan is chased by Hogan, and Heenan tries to escape by running into the cage like a weirdo. Hogan goes and gets his hands on him and throws him into the cage, then hits an atomic drop, and Heenan falls out of the cage door. They go back to Vince and Susan St. James back in New York City after the match, and he says goodbye. Matt, what did you think of the main event? It was okay. I suppose, it, again, it kind of follows the yeah, typical sort of Hogan-style match at this point. Um, it, it wasn't the most exciting thing in the world, but again, the, the crowd did seem to enjoy it. The, the one thing that I found particularly entertaining is Lord How. Uh, Lord Alfred Hayes referring to the uh, the cage as iron bars, and I can tell you now 
had they called this an iron bar match, I would have been far more entertained and more. And if I was going to buy the pay per view at the time, I would have been far more likely to purchase the show. If I heard there was an iron bar match, that sounds awesome. Um, so that did make me chuckle. And they kind of do look like iron bars, so that, that's quite right. It, it was basically Bundy working over Hogan's ribs. Um, you know, oh Hogan, I'm in pain. Ribs hurt. Yeah, <laughs> wasn't much to it. So, selling, 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 selling the ribs till it you know comes time for the comeback. I. I did kind of I, I know it was I said it was escape the cage I assumed it potentially could still be pinfalls in there anyway because I, I to be honest I was expecting Hogan to get the pin so I was quite surprised when he did I say surprise I mean they did say you can escape but I still thought that he'd probably get the pin but anyway post match yeah you know beats a pin and it, it it wasn't the most exciting thing in the world and to be honest most of Hogan's matches uh, that I've seen in this sort of time scale weren't and they pretty, pretty much just follow the same sort of pattern so but you know the the right guy won you know send the people home happy what what more can you want not a lot more apparently i mean i do agree with you on the iron bars thing that they already had an established steel cage which was the mesh steel cage which you get more recently is now what they go they've gone back to although obviously it's a far more safe environment than it probably was in the 80s this was i think one of the first outings for the old blue bars which you're right could be called could have been called the iron bar match yeah i agree i have a fact about said cage from the Wrestling Observer, they use the Calgary cage, much easier to climb than the normal cyclone fence cage used to pro wrestling, flown in specifically to allow Hulk Hogan to climb it without taxing his incredible athletic prowess. I think there's a little bit of sarcasm from Dave there. Um, in fact, the crew to set up the cage was also flown in from Calgary. So the whole thing was from Stampede, except for exactly that reason. I don't, going back to the rules, I don't think there were pins in a WWF cage match of any significance until Rude and Warrior at SummerSlam 90, which I also don't think finished with a pinfall, but there was a referee in the cage for that, I believe. Meltzer's so anti-Hulk Hogan here, and, I, and Meltzer's 26 in this, and, and, and I think it's important to note that the Wrestling Observer of the mid-80s was more of a fanzine with news than serious journalism. So he, he talks about this match was slow and plodding, pretty bad from what what you expect from two overweight wrestlers it's just like Dave come on Hogan 86 could go let's let's not let's not beat around the bush this was an underrated wrestler who was oozing charisma out of every single pore in his body Um, and this was exactly the sort of guy that you know let's you know fucking Hogan was doing you know 10 minute main events six nights a week flying all over the place because the bloke in charge of their um well i presume it was a bloke perhaps i shouldn't presume the person in charge of their travel schedule would send them to san francisco one night new jersey the next night and didn't know what they were doing so and he was dropping that leg every night and ruining his body but this guy could go and i and i you know i found myself tapping my foot along to hogan's entrance music when he came out involuntarily because you know hogan's not the nicest man in the world but you know I, there's something about there's something magical about hogan from this time bundy did the worst knot in the history of mankind trying to tie hogan to the ropes and he definitely can't have been in the scouts because he definitely wouldn't have got a proficiency bag badge for that i didn't particularly enjoy hogan shuddering on on selling uh, but apart from that and him no selling and, and killing off the avalanche as a special move i thought this was pretty good and everything it needed to be hogan wins Crowd's happy. It didn't save the show, but this was exactly the right way to end this end this WrestleMania with Hogan winning. Yeah, it was definitely one of the best things on the show, but it wasn't hard to be one of the best things on the no. show because there really wasn't that many good things on it. Obviously, it's the main. It obviously is the right result, but again, Matt, you, you're showing your naivety. You really believe that Hogan was going to pin Bundy when there's plenty of house shows they've got to cover in the next few yeah. years. <laughs> 
So they wrestle each other about, well, according to Cage Match, and this might not be a complete listing, but they wrestled each other at least 13 times over the next year on house shows and on Saturday night's main event shows, selling this match once again on a number of occasions. They had money to make out of this match. They would have had to squander a pinfall on a show that everyone could watch at the same time. That's just ridiculous. It was all right. It was all right. But again, I think I I already, like with the previous match, I'd already got to a point where I was like, I'm beyond the point of no return. We've got to get through this show. It's got to end soon. And it was fine. And Hogan is, as you said, Stephen, he was the biggest star in the world. No question the biggest star in the world. By a long way, no one was close to him. And he would go on to be even bigger over the next three years or so. You can't really complain about being him being the main event winning the main event of wrestlemania that's just how it goes it's he's the biggest star simple as that so that brings us full circle we've covered all of wrestlemania 2 matt you'll be pleased to know that other than the next the next question i'm going to ask you you'll never have to talk about it again so in that spirit why don't we get your overall thoughts on the show your score out of 10 <laughs> oh well this is going to come across as such a surprise to everybody i'm sure but uh, overall thoughts on the show you could just i'm just exasperated at this point i i just am exhausted it it was it was a chore to get through it wasn't any good you know even when i see you know when i talked about match of the night earlier again love jyd don't get me wrong but you know to say that was the the best match it, that was okay but just compared to everything else on the show it was just hard to get through it i will i will never be watching this show ever again in my lifetime i can safely say that right now i would not recommend it to anybody in their life time just listen to us describe it on this podcast and i'm not the type of person who's gonna and i do love dave Meltzer, but i'm not the type of person who's gonna give minus star reviews or anything like that i'm gonna stick quite comfortably between a zero and a ten and you'll all be surprised to know that it gets a big fat fucking zero this show <laughs> is a steaming pile of turd that you never ever need to watch i am done wrestlemania 2 fuck off Matt, just actually, I've just thought there's one more question I'd like to hear about. Is it worse or better than WrestleMania 1? Worse. Much. Much, Fine. much worse. Steven? Um, how do I follow that? I mean, two-thirds of this w- was genuinely, genuinely awful. I thought two-thirds of this was even worse than the AWA show, um, which we watched previously, um, which which is the worst wrestling show I think I've ever seen and certainly ever ever, ever reviewed. But I, I, th- I wouldn't go as far as the LA portion saved it, but I thought the LA portion by itself stand alone. You had the good tag match, the Steamboat and Hercules, and, and I thought the main event was at worst solid. I'd probably give the LA portion five out of ten. I gave the AWA show one out of ten. So I think LA probably bumps this up to bumps this up from a zero to a three. So I'm going three out of ten and my MVP is the immortal Hulk Hogan. I'm actually giving it a three as well out of ten. I think again, first of all, I'm gonna keep reiterating this because I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. I start with the main event. That's the attraction. That's what people are buying this show for. The main event of the show was a five or six out of ten for me perfectly serviceable i think underneath if you take hercules and steamboat and you take the tag team match for the titles for me personally anyway very decent matches both i enjoyed the battle royal which was another one of the big main events of this this show and therefore there's enough on here just about to carry it to a rating that's not 
absolutely through the floor. The first half of the show, though, is the worst wrestling first half of a wrestling show there is anywhere in the world. I defy anyone to find something that's worse. Maybe that here is a wrestling show that's infamous from the late 90s where Jake the Snake Roberts is drunk in the main event. Maybe that has a half a show which is worse than the first half of WrestleMania 2. But I'm I'm not convinced it will it would be because the first half is just a complete washout. There are six matches, five of them last less than five minutes, and the other one is a boxing match, a worked <laughs> boxing match between two non-boxers. I mean, it's just hideously bad, and I think that puts everybody on the back foot when they watch WrestleMania two, and it's it's always done that to me previously. It's always put me on the back foot like this is absolutely shit, and by this by the time you get to the second half, you already have written the whole thing off. But the second half does, in my opinion, actually include some things that are worth watching at least once anyway. Maybe not three times as I now have done, but watching once just to see how it goes. It's WrestleMania after all, for completeness. You ought to watch them all really. So that's why I'm giving it a three out of ten. But it's it's not a great show by any stretch of the imagination. I think in terms of WrestleMania 1, how that compares in terms of an average rating. So WrestleMania 1 got a 4 out of 10 average from us. And Matt gave it a 0. So that shows how highly old man and myself did think of WrestleMania 1. Um, this one's got a 2. So it's significantly worse than WrestleMania 1. And I think that's a fair, it's a fair assessment of the two shows. Right. Well, that really is everything for this week. We've gone over three hours. So uh, I'm going to give you a chance both now to get off to bed. So, Matt, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Pleasure as always. Polar bear out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Stephen, I... if you can if you can bear not to vomit for a few more minutes, uh, thank you also for your contributions no, today. I love that. I don't want that to become a thing. I want that every single week, Matt. It's brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Thank you very there, much, Jens. I've really enjoyed it. A pleasure as always. I look forward to the next one. There have been some things in the past that Matt has cringed at. I can't believe he himself isn't cringing at his own <laughs> wordage today. This has been the Random Wrestling Review. We'll be back again in two weeks' time where we will be covering one of the biggest shows of all time, WrestleMania 3. Until then, take care.